0: Ubisoft's DRM Blackout stops legit players from playing the games they paid for. EA praises Call of Duty Elite and Double Fine crowdfunds their own game. All that, plus more, on today's Matchcast. Smash those buttons, Smashcast. I'm Jared, and I'm here with Senior Editor, Rob Hill-Williams. Hello. And I'm also here with podcast host, Dick Zelenkevich. Hello, everybody. Yes, and this is Smashcast number 39. I've got quite a bit to cover, so we're just going to get right into it. Rob, what have you been playing?
1: A lot of things, most of which I have already mentioned in the past, but uh Skyrim... Uh, Final Fantasy XIII 2, Battlefield 3, DCU, Oil Rush, Bulletstorm, and Arkham City, but this time on the PC. But really only because I got the game for free and I wanted to see how pretty it was. And we've already talked about this, but really it was not it was cleaner
0: and smoother, but not really better per se. But Yeah, the yeah. frame rate's gonna be higher, uh because just because of the PC hardware, but well, we talked about it a little bit before the show but unreal tech has built for console so
1: yeah the only major thing i notice is that there's less of the intentional slow down during combat that they do for like I, I i don't know why because it's like your reaction time as far as like combat goes really shouldn't be any different but i've noticed that like combat and the p on the console version like the slowdown is a lot more pronounced and I don't know if that's the frame rate. I I can't imagine it is though, because even when they they have like the big finishing like Batman does a flip kick into somebody's face, like it doesn't slow down as much. So I was like, Oh, that's weird. I don't know why, but there we go. So I don't know. And I've been having a terrible hankering for playing Rockman. But I haven't done it yet.
0: That is a terrible hankering. That's a great hankering.
1: I love like Rockman's awesome, but I just haven't played in a while.
0: I think Skyrim uh, Skyrim's gonna go on your unmentionable list soon.
1: Uh, it probably already should be on my unmentionable list I've like definitely dropped more than 100 hours into that game And I did not get it when it came out <laughs> So Yeah it probably should Show us a battlefield soon
0: Okay what about you Nick what have you been playing I'm, I'm pretty much only playing my unmentionable List uh,
2: just WoW And Mass Effect 2 you got to spread out a little bit, man. Jeez. Well, it's I'm, well, you know, the problem is I'm I'm trying to work my way through Mass Effect 2, but I've been uh, playing the Arrival DLC, and I've been hitting a bunch of bugs that are just killing my momentum. And it's a shame because I'm really, really loving the story. But I'll play and and then I'll get stuck, and I'll have to go back to my last save point, and I get frustrated, and I'll come back to it like a week later, which is just just it's flat out wrong because it's a great game. But it's it's I'm just very disappointed by the whole thing. And no patches or anything that you. Not that I've seen I did uh, check the forums I see I'm not the only person having these bugs Um, I don't know if I've seen uh, Do they normally patch DLC? Um, Because that It feels like it's so late to the party It's almost like why bother Yeah if there's a bug they better patch the DLC (laughs) Yeah but it's very specific bugs Like in one case if you clear out the enemies Too quickly then you don't trigger the event To proceed to the next step and so it's it's it they're they're bugs, but they're very conditional bugs they're not uh they're still bugs that i i' i'm I'm, not, I'm I'm not defending them leaving the bugs in don't get me wrong <laughs> um i think I'm, I'm i'm if anything just defending they're not caring about leaving the bugs in I don't know it, it uh, there's just a bad taste in my mouth. that's all I can say
1: Yeah, there's a difference between it w- knowing that they should fix the bugs and them actually taking the time to do it, exactly. yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, Nick, I'm going to let you borrow some of my games so you'll have... (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not
2: not for a lack of... It's it's not it, no I I really I really want to just sort of barrel into Mass Effect too so it's it's not for a lack of desire to play anything else or maybe it is a lack of desire to play anything else I want to I kind of need to to throw myself wholeheartedly into that plus I haven't spent a little more time this week uh, I'm trying to get the holiday uh, the the love is in the air achievements for uh, Warcraft and that that uh, that I does kn- not make up for anything at I all. knocked I, I knocked it out I got it knocked out I got that that so, doesn't make up for anything at all it, it, well you know you know I, I hadn't really gone after them before but now that i signed up for the annual pass i figure if i'm going to be around for a whole year i might as well go after that year-long meta achievement that you get for doing all the holidays so i'm 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 going at that with gusto and this was a bad week we also had the dark moon fair and the lunar festival still going on
1: so it was very busy oh wow like universe into itself
0: So there's
1: the guy guy over here who has Starcraft 2
0: so far back in his unmentionable list that we actually do mention it again. Hey, but I I spread out. I have four games on my list this week. Thank you very much. So while I enjoy the Starcraft, I still play my other games. Nick, next week you'll be playing a man's game. I'm bringing Infamous 2 to work tomorrow.
2: Actually, I'm actually I do have uh, the original Infamous still on my uh, my PlayStation when uh, I got that as part of the uh, the consolation for the PSN being down package. So you know what? I'll play that. I'll play that this week then. Thank you, thank you. Our audience thanks you.
1: (laughs) Well, I I think really you're thanking. (laughs) uh, Well, I just said thank you.
0: (laughs) All right. So, um, well, in terms of the four games that I, well, five games if you include Starcraft, but you know we don't talk about that because I play it so much but uh i actually got a review code for shank 2 on tuesday night and um i was able to play through and get the review done and it just went up today uh for those who liked shank i really can't see you having any qualms with shank 2 uh everything was improved i mean the core, the core gameplay of shank was fine to begin with but they basically they just they just polished it up you know the uh well, well, I think I know one big thing that people were complaining about was you know dodging in the first one, and now dodging is much easier. But they also made it a much more important part of the game. Like if you don't know how to time your dodges right, or if you don't dodge at all, you're just gonna continually die. Um, like switching between weapons, and I'm not—I should say—I shouldn't say switching between weapons. Switching between attacks, much more fluid. Like you could go from using the shanks to using the chainsaw to using like the throwing knives or whatever you have in those slots much faster Uh, there's a lot a lot more enemies on the screen at one time and they all complement each other like they'll have like a ranged enemy on one side of the map while they have a big guy that's on the other side of the map kind of close to you and then sometimes they'll have like a big like you know sub boss guy and they're like these little these little guys who like like look like like odd job from (laughs) from 007 and, like, you have to fight them, but the thing about them is they're so fast and agile. Like, when you go to swing at them, they'll back up. And sometimes you get so engaged with the little guys that, you know, the big guy just has just enough time to grab you and then do some major damage. So, um, it, it's a it's a really good game in terms of gameplay. Very good game. The story definitely not as good as the first one. Actually, the story is a little bit, I should say the story is off the wall. The characters that you come into contact with, they're a little off the wall at times. But the story is good. The survival mode is good. Highly recommended for anyone that enjoyed shank
1: i gotta ask though i know that they took out co-op and put in survival in its place is it a decent substitute because i i actually you know like i edited your review but like when i saw that i was like oh really like they took out co-op like i was kind of heartbroken like is it a decent substitute
0: it is more than a decent substitute in my opinion i think it'll because i for the original shank i actually did not um finish the co-op of that shank of that game even though i liked it i did want to find out more about the story because in the original shank the co-op is like a prequel to the actual game right but survival mode I, like first of all you know it's xbox live enabled so you can actually hop on and just get a game like you don't have to have somebody there with you uh you don't have to do it with a friend like you can get in and just get a game like really fast so that will actually keep me playing for longer than the previous co-op did. And on top of that, with the previous co-op, once you finished it, that was it. Like, the previous co-op and sh- the original Shank didn't even have a higher difficulty. You know? So I think it's more... It's it's a lot more fun than the previous co-op, so... Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot.
1: Okay. I can yeah. build up with
0: that. Yeah, so besides Shank 2, uh, I played Pineapple Smash Force, which... I don't know, like, the... The game is like a... It's a top... I won't even call it... Yeah, I guess you could call it, like, a top-down shooter, and you control four soldiers simultaneously, Uh and basically, you know, they all shoot at the same time, but the thing is, each each sol- uh, soldier can hold their own type of grenade, or hold a different type of grenade, and, you know, basically you just traverse through the levels, shooting shit up, and then, you know, blowing up enemies... Where you need to, and the grenades are the uh, are the you know the real special parts. Like some are just frag grenades, some are actually missiles, and like you can, you know, fire off the grenade in a certain direction, and then turn it midair, and then make it stream in another direction. Some some stuff shoots through walls, and it's just a it was a it's a fun game to play. Um, I'm still playing Insane Two, and I still have that review to finish. But the reason the review's not done is because. I, I, mean, I thought I pretty much had the game in the bag. I thought I had... Uh, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I can review this game. I know this game. But then they started unleashing different race modes on me. Like, things that weren't really, like, you know, races. Like, uh, there is uh, something called... Um, a gate... Not gate crasher, I'm sorry. That's uh, fucking uh, Dirt 2 and Dirt 3. But there's this one mode where... Basically, all the cars start in a circle. They're, they encircle each other. And it's an open field, or it's an open open level. Like, you know, you can drive anywhere in the level, and there's all these, like, gates all over the place. And at random, the, you know, gates will light up. And you have to be the first to that gate and go through that gate before the other cars. And the thing is, like, I mean, you could be on one side of the map, you go through that gate, and then the next gate is, like, all the way on the other side of the map. And basically, the first car that gets uh, through all those gates, or not all through all those gates, but gets the the most gates, uh, you know, a certain amount of gates, will win that round. There's capture the flag, which is pretty awesome. Like, you know, you, you race to the flag, and then you have to hold the flag. And if you get bumped, you lose the flag. So basically, all the cars are coming at you because you have the flag. You have no turbo because you have the flag the other cars do, and you have to hold onto the flag for a certain amount of time. So they, uh... Uh, it, there's a lot more to the game than I thought. And there's actually even more. Like, I have to play it more to unlock some additional stuff just to get the full review, in my opinion. But it, it's actually a really good game. I just wish there was more people playing multiplayer. Because there's yeah. nobody playing multiplayer. And the AI is it, not the brightest crayon in the box. It really isn't. In most cases, like, it's you versus the, the terrain. The terrain is the challenge. Like, you know, you hit... Uh, a bump at the wrong angle at the wrong speed, and you're all over the place. So, but uh, it's a good game. Uh, I pre ordered Natural Selection 2 so I could play the beta, and that is definitely actually. Did any did of you, did you guys play the original Natural Selection?
1: I do not remember it. Uh, it sounds familiar. Don't remember it though.
2: No, I remember hearing about it, but no, I did not play it.
0: Okay. See, a lot of people credit Savage w- with the with the whole mixing RTS and FPS genres. When and somebody may correct me on this, but the first game I remember that was like that was Natural Selection. Okay, and on one side you are the humans, on the other side you have uh, the aliens or the monsters, whatever. And you know, basically, you have to, you know, you have one person who's a commander, and they upgrade your units, and they build out and stuff like that, and then you have the troops on the ground. And I mean, natural selection too. Like, I have to play with friends because, or I shouldn't say that because some communities just because of the types of games that th- that you're playing, they work well naturally together. Like, I, you know, when I play, uh, when I play Nuclear Dawn, teamwork is a natural part of that game. Uh, Red Orchestra, teamwork is a natural part of that game. You play Call of Duty, not so much, you know. But like you know, you teamwork is essential, especially if you're playing as a human, and and uh, natural selection, because you won't, you can't go one on one with with a monster. Like you, you can't do it. Like if you try to do it, you'll just die really fast. They're that much stronger than you, so you usually have to work in pairs or groups. But if I saw like you know an alien. Out there, and he was looking at me, and I was by myself. Fucking, I ran like a little bitch because I couldn't do anything to him, you know. So, but that I had some, I had some fun playing that, and I'm looking forward to playing more of it, especially if I can get a couple of my friends to pick it up. Uh, but yeah, that's what I've been playing. So we're gonna just go right into the topic. You guys ready for that?
1: Yes, yep. okay. I do have a game that I'm going to play. A little meta game I'm playing with the Mashcast today. We're going to talk about it later, but I am right now keeping track of where the Double Finds uh, Kickstarter project, how much money they're at, and I'm going to see how much money they've made by the time we finish the MASHcast. That sounds Just fun. shits and giggles. That is because, awesome. Because it's been pretty stupid so far. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, get on with it.
0: <laughs> All right, cool. Are, are we uh, placing bets? Uh, I wasn't, but hey, Nick, if you're a high roller, go for it i i may want unless, to action on that okay unless you want to bet lunch tomorrow
2: um <laughs> uh, well no like, not uh monday maybe <laughs> it's Not high rolling <laughs> <laughs> i already may have bet my lunch for tomorrow so <laughs>
0: ah okay uh well do you want to give a number right now like this show uses where they're at
1: uh sure right now at, at the time when we started recording they're at 1 million uh 80 dollars one hundred and eight or eighty three thousand one hundred and eighty four dollars, and they had twenty eight thousand three hundred and fifty like backers so far oh. so their original target three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand thousand and so that was oh. last night <laughs> so but we'll get to that, so yeah, that's we'll where we're that starting right ahead. now, so we'll see where we end up.
0: okay, all right, so uh the first topic is actually going to be about David Jaffe and Eat Sleep play, uh, a couple things with the story. First of all, uh, Eat, Sleep, Play has laid off 26 of its staff. And the reason that it did that is because it's going to be transitioning to iPhone and iPad development. Um, Now, because of this, David... Well, I I shouldn't say because of this, but uh, at the same time, David Jaffe, it was reported that he was going to be leaving Eat, Sleep, Play. Uh, And, you know, the original rumor... Was that he was leaving to make casual games when it's actually really the other way around? Because I don't care In, how you
1: journalism.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't care how you look at it. iPhone and iPad development, uh, for the most part, is casual gaming. I mean, there 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 may be. I really can't think of any uh, games I'll call hardcore, but it, you know, never say never.
2: What about the uh, the Mega Man port? <laughs> I hate you, Nick. I hate
0: you. Don't talk, don't talk we don't talk about that anymore
1: and jared drops napalm on the Mashcast.
2: Mashcast <laughs> over everybody Well, it was, it was fun being here for a few weeks
0: guys <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just brought out the uh, just yeah, thinking but, about that shitty port just made me angry
1: yeah, i mean like <laughs> infinity blade is probably the closest thing to like a high caliber look but that's still not i wouldn't necessarily call it hardcore
0: i don't know definitely i wouldn't call it a hardcore um a game i mean that's the i mean it looks pretty and everything but we we'll would definitely I call it a hardcore
1: polished game. stuff is hardcore but not necessarily gameplay
0: exactly so yeah eat sleep play is transitioning to iphone and ipad development uh you know they are saying you know scott campbell who's a, the co-founder he says you know, you know they're going to be reaching a lot more people and that's exciting for them david Jaffe obviously doesn't want to have anything to do with that um you know he that he you know he said that uh, you know him and Eat Sleep play player going down separate paths, and uh, you know he's going to be opening up a new studio in San Diego, and uh, they're looking to tackle a big, huge. And this is a quote from him: big, huge, next gen game ideas, or even stuff in the browser space. Which that may see, that may seem like that's you know maybe going in the casual direction too, but with stuff like. Uh, the the, the stuff we be you know, like we're seeing, you know, Bastion, we're seeing with Chrome, uh, the the casual space. Not sorry, the casual space, but the browser space really doesn't have to be the the casual space. Um, I I I was think trying to think of the actual name of the tech that uh, Bastion uses to render, um, itself or render the game in the browser, but I am drawing a blank right now for some reason. But I'll if I can remember it I'll, I'll I'll bring it up later. But either way, um, actually there was another uh there was another article that came out I think like a day or so after that saying that he may even be trying to tackle like a survival horror game like a, a guerrilla style survival horror game. So that sounds curious <laughs> how you make a uh a, a survival horror game yes. Nick just brought it up, Native client. Thank you very much, Nick. That is the name of the tech that um, Google uses or that Bastion uses to render uh, Bastion and or I say Supergiant uses to render Bastion in the browser. Um, now, my thoughts on this whole situation, I, it makes me happy because it gives me hope that there are there are lots of there are notice notable uh, developers out there that aren't just in this thing for the money. You know what I'm saying? Because casual gaming, you know, iPhone, iPad, iPhone, mobile, Facebook, a lot of those casual spaces, there's a lot of money to be had there because there's a lot of people there. So I can I can see why Eat Sleep Play wants to transition into that. But for David to actually leave and then you know go make his own studio to focus on the big next-gen games absolutely of the idea of it what do you guys think
1: i mean i may catch a little hell for it but nobody goes into social gaming because they are really after some sort of like unique play experience they're in they're after because of money I, i will just flat out say that there may be exceptions, but I'm not talking about the exceptions. <laughs> I'm talking about the rule right now. So, of course, like, ET Play, you had, like, NG Moco, all these other companies they are like, oh, mobile games, future, yay. And it's the future because there's money in it for them. Yeah. you know. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it, but there's money in regular games, too. And Jaffe, obviously, like, he's he's attached to, you know, developing for, like, A different market than that so he's sticking to his you know he's sticking those guns hooray you know like it it just gets worrisome not so much because like oh man it's gonna supplant gaming because like it's better but like it's gonna supplant gaming because like there's more money to be had you know um and that's why it gets worrying to see like all these people from different companies and stuff go to mobile developers you know i'm not supposed to talk about zynga but when we had homeboy last week who got trotted out to have a really shitty interview. Like, the reason he went to Zynga was not because of like, oh man, I made so I was working on Civilization 2. I want to make a game like that for social. It's because of money. Like, that's why. So go go, Jaffy, go. <laughs> <laughs> um and it's funny because it's like, you know, like we said, like journalism, haha, because the story got completely backwards, but he even, like, was responding on Twitter and basically said, like, for people who think that, like, I got outed of the company or something, like, I co-own it. I left. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just, he just really, like, uh, or people who don't know, Eatsy uh, plays located in, I guess, like, salt in, like, Utah, like, Salt Lake City area. Yeah. Um, so, like, he was working, like, from, you know, from Cal- California with them. Like, he wasn't ever really, like, there, so to speak. Like, he got tired of doing, like, he he didn't like having to do the, the long, like, the long distance. Like, he was like, I, it's like more than 300 miles of development. Like, I wanted to be in-house actually doing stuff daily with a team. And that's why he wants to make his own company.
2: So, if he partially co-owns it, is he giving up his shares of the company then? Who knows? Because that, that seems a little bit like he's having his cake and eating it, too, because he's like, oh, well, I really don't want to work on the iPhone and the iPad games, So I'm I'm going to leave that. But I'll keep my share so I can still get that sweet, sweet iPhone and iPad money Whoa. without having to actually touch it. I mean, it's
0: what? not a moral so they, decision. That's sweet, <laughs> that's, sweet,
2: <laughs> that's sweet,
1: sweet money. But, yeah, I mean, he can have it. Yeah, that's I mean,
0: the benefits of ownership. I mean, it is, technically speaking of, it is, he, he, it is his company, you know. So that'd be that'd be smart business if he did that if he left and then you know if he left in terms of development kept the shares to get the money money. yeah and then did his own thing on the side I can't fault him for that
1: yeah I just I just applaud him for actually like being sincere I guess and sticking to like what he wants to actually do instead of being like well there's more money to be made over there so
0: exactly so that's good you know actually from what I've seen of Twisted Metal. It looks like it could be entertaining. I'm not. I don't know how good it's actually going to be. And I'll, I'll, I'll at least give it a shot. Uh, and and you know previous items he's worked on, you know I've enjoyed. So I'm happy that he's staying in the whole you know major game development field because that's that's kind of what I that's that's what I do. That's what I play. And it sucks when we lose like major devs to mobile gaming, Facebook. It's just terrible. It's just a bad situation to be in. Uh,
1: Poor one for the homies.
0: Yeah, poor one for the homies. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, 26 people. uh, We have to pour out for 26 people because they lost their jobs in this transition. Because I guess, you know, you don't need the teams as large. So, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how what Eat Sleep play does, you know, in the mobile field. And we'll see what, you know, I'm pretty sure the. uh, Games industry, or you know, East game game journalism is definitely going to be keeping an eye on what he does uh, with his you know new company or with his new studio. But moving on to our next topic, remember all that that DRM that you know we were talking about with Ubisoft for the last I don't know what was it six months on and off? New games Three coming up. Three years? Out. I know we not oh, yeah, we've been about talking. That that long, yeah, that's it. We've been talking. About, yeah. <laughs> We've been talking about it for about six months, but it's been happening for a long, long time. Well, it's finally to something that's finally happened to show how poor of an idea this actually was, and unfortunately, Ubisoft probably uh, Ubisoft, sorry—probably doesn't even re- re- really see it that way. Uh, what what's happened is uh, several games, uh, f- for Ubisoft, um, that required the DL—not the DLC, but the uh, the DRM. Uh, they were affected while Ubisoft moved from I think they I think they actually moved from data centers. They moved their servers from one location to another. Uh and uh they they put a warning out to the users saying that these titles will be affected and we're sorry for the inconvenience. But Hawks 2, which you shouldn't have bought in the first place, that game was terrible. But uh Settler's uh Path to a Kingdom, Might and Magic Heroes six Splinter Cell Conviction for the Mac, Assassin's Creed for the Mac, and The Settlers for the Mac. Now, those were the ones they planned for. Uh, Also affected, and supposedly these games were supposed to work fine, are Anno 2070 and Driver San Francisco for PC and Mac, uh, where applicable, at least. So, yeah, once again, the people who went out of their way to to buy the games legit are the ones suffering here the people who downloaded the titles illegally they're not affected because they don't they you know their their software doesn't check in with the drm servers so great job ubisoft punishing the users yeah, slow clap there you go yeah punishing your users your loyal users or uh, you know customers
1: what else do you have to fucking say (laughs) like DRM is shitty and it only punishes the consumer it only punishes people who legitimately went out of their way to go and buy your game and you stick DRM up their ass and then not only is it like not even just like oh the normal shitty things you have to deal with the DRM but like you did this yourself you did this yourself like I'm sure they had to make the service which they had to do but like if you have all this shitty DRM, couldn't you find a way to keep the shitty DRM working while you were making the server switch? Like, I I don't know. I don't, I don't know all the technicalities of that, but
0: the, the, you know what the, the whole migration thing is them being cheap. They could have definitely made it so that, you know, the new servers were up or the servers were, uh, were migrated or, or, uh, you know, cloned beforehand put into the new environment and then shut down those servers. They could have definitely did that. But they probably want to be cheap. I mean if they let's say they were moving physical servers, not virtual servers, which is a strong possibility. They could have easily put, you know, other servers or stood up or stood up other servers uh, in their place. Exactly. Yeah. They could have totally, totally done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine that the DRM has the server IP addresses hardwired not, not hardwired, but hard coded into the DRM itself because, you know, for whatever reasons, IPs can change. So, of course, you would use like a DNS address for stuff like that. And they could have just redirected that DNS, that, that DRM DNS, elsewhere. And they didn't. It's like, you know, that's. that's you that's, saw fucking up. That's yeah, exactly. That <laughs> that's them <that's> being <laughs> cheap. That's just them, uh, you know, trying to cut IT expenses. So yeah that that was them being cheap and just fucking the customer in general, like, Oh well, they already bought it, so we have their money, right, yeah, whatever, and I wonder if they can if they if customers could take legal action or something like that, like you know, I have this product, and you know you never tell like, i'm pro- i would have to look at their terms of service because I don't know if they ever mentioned downtime
1: I feel like they do, I feel like they cover themselves on that like it's stupid, but I feel like they do. Because, oh. I mean, it's like, you know, that, like, they're not, you know, they can they s- suspend the service at any time, yada, yada, yada. You oh. know, like, if they're, I feel like if there's downtime on their side, they, they have no, you know, they're not beholden to the customer in any way. Obviously yeah. not.
0: Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious because, you know, for Comcast, uh, Verizon, services that are constantly streaming, like services, like, games aren't services. You know what I'm saying? DRM is not a service. Uh, for stuff that's a service, like if Origin were to have in their in EULA, their that if Origin's down, you know, Origin's not guaranteed to be up 100% of the time, I can see that. But, like, you know, I, I really need to see, like, if Ubisoft and their DRM says, if the DRM servers need to be moved, not necessarily need to be moved, but if the DRM servers don't work and we, you can't hold us legally responsible.
2: But one One question I have is these games all either seem fairly old or very specialized. I mean a lot of these are Mac versions. So not not to defend them at all because I mean this makes a great you anti- are so the enemy ramp-
0: today Nick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but how many people actually were affected by this? How many people actually had bought Hawks 2 in the last like 3 weeks and this is all they've been playing. Like I, I does it I, matter? I, well no, no, it, it fundamentally it doesn't because I agree like I agree with the point that you're making and how this proves If not that DRM is bad, at least the way Ubisoft implemented their DRM is terrible. But I I feel like it's a lot of rage over a very small number of affected people.
1: It's a small number of affected people, but every legitimate customer should have access to their game. I know you're not defending it, but like that's the long and short of it. If you have legitimate users who can't access the game that they paid money for, and there's no real like good reason why they can't, but Pirates can there it's a fundamental flaw in the reasoning that like DRM protects anybody. Yeah, I, it it doesn't protect the publisher, it doesn't protect the consumer, and it sure as hell doesn't affect the pirates. So definitely not. I mean, like I know you're not defending it, but like I and and you're right on a certain level because like most of the games are older. I mean like the the newest games on the list were like Might and Magic Hero Six, which was which is PC, um which is actually probably the biggest game that I would feel like people are playing on PC. And Anno 27 and Driver San Francisco. I don't even know anybody who actually bought Driver. So,
0: I do actually. I do. I know a few people who bought Driver. But
1: those are the newest games. But I know people play Mind Magic. You know, like there's a pretty big community behind Mind Magic. I know people are playing that game. Like even if it's just a couple thousand people, it's a couple of thousand legitimate buyers who went out and spent hard cash on your games who are being affected and it's not like, Oh, the servers were down for a day and now they're, you know, it's all screwed up. Like it's down for like, uh, Jesus, I forget how long, uh, Oh, unknown period of time. Like they don't even know how long it's going to be down for <laughs> like, while wow, they do the server switch. I thought it was just like, they actually set a time they didn't like, it's just unknown. And that, that sucks. Like, I don't know. It just, it just highlights a flaw that's already been, you know, talked about, but there it is again. What? And really, like they're the ones highlighting it themselves—big fucking yellow highlighter marker, <laughs> neon lights and stuff.
0: Well, I bet those uh those ubi uh, Ubisoft customers learned their lesson. You know, I I I I don't think I I can't even remember when the last time I bought a Ubisoft game on PC. Oof, and this had, this was I think like I stopped buying Ubisoft games on PC back in like uh I don't know I think when Raven Shield. Came out like that was that was ages ago at this point, and that's because of the lack of support for like the bugs that they had. So yeah, like I learned my lesson back then, but this is a totally different lesson (laughs) that that has been taught today. That Ubisoft just doesn't understand. You know, I I understand that they understand that I understand that they think they need to protect their assets and everything, but at the same time, like you can't you know stop your your consumer base from consuming you know if if i still bought ubisoft games for pc this is the point that would stop me from doing it because it's not that difficult to buy to get not to buy but to, to get the pirate games it really isn't especially these days so but uh we'll see what else happens if more games pop up you know not working uh, I, I'm assuming if some of the bit, like, bigger titles like Assassin's Creed Revelations and stuff like that didn't work, we'd we would have heard about that first, like before Driver San Francisco.
1: This oh yeah, a- I mean like that. I'm sure like that was like the only game that they were like, okay, we need to keep that game up, <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, because that's the one you'll hear about. Like that's you know like that's kind of like I guess the next point where it's like. That, that would affect a lot of people people would notice then
2: were there is it possible were there any patches released recently for that that might have addressed that uh, I guess that hard-coded DNS hole that was referenced um well I don't know so about the DNS,
0: indicate... I don't know though the DNS hole I as I, 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 I can only imagine that they use DNS as opposed to hard-coded um, IPS I don't know for sure I don't know exactly how they do it
2: but if, if they well, if they use DNS then doesn't I mean fundamentally if they use DNS this whole thing doesn't happen it had to be hard-coded and that i don't know
0: no i don't the thing is i think what i think happened is that they didn't stand up other servers on the other side and get them prepped and ready to go before the migration i think they literally took their servers or whatever they had and moved that shit somewhere else i think that's what happened
1: dude we have seen companies skimp on on it and tech and and having people do the shit they're actually supposed to be doing ahead of time. High PSN.
2: But if I guess to sort of follow up on my point, if these are games that are, are, I guess played by a smaller audience, is it worth them spending the money to not skimp on the tech?
0: Oh, it's definitely worth the money, but they might, may not see it that way. You know, they may say, well, you know, we can get away with this, you know, on paper, they, you know, they probably did. They asked for a plan. Like we need a plan to make this all go smoothly. And that shit never works. <laughs> Something always happens. Well,
1: the and, only thing that happens is they get a they get a report that's submitted that says all the shit they should do, and yeah. they go, "Okay, like how can we make it
0: cheaper?" Yeah, that uh, that may happen too. Like we need to, you know, we this is our budget for this, you know, for this. But and, and well, we already know that Ubisoft. Well, personally, <laughs> I should say I, I don't think Ubisoft really cares all that much about their PC community. Uh, so they may not have put this as as an extremely high priority because it doesn't affect consoles; it only affects the PC and, and Mac. Well, you know, PC and Mac, if you call those two different platforms. But you know, it affects the the ones that the DRM is on.
1: And if it affected consoles, this would be a whole fucking different story.
0: Oh yeah, it would have never happened. Yeah. <laughs> it would never happened.
1: So I mean, like in a way, Nick is right because like I'm sure that's that's how they looked
0: at it. Like, well, it doesn't affect that many people, so we're good probably so but we'll see how this affects uh you know their PC market in general so but it's funny because you know what if this actually does result in lower sales for them on PC they're gonna blame it on piracy (laughs) that's what they do they don't really see you know the truth behind the matter but whatever Ubisoft you just continue doing whatever you're doing just don't fuck up the next Assassin's Creed and we'll be square (laughs) but um yeah, we're gonna move on to our next topic, which is I'm gonna talk a little bit about Origin and EA. Uh so Origin hit a milestone. Uh you know, Origin we 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 knew that the user base was growing pretty quickly. Uh they recruited about nine point three million users, uh totally. Uh and they had a milestone of having one million simultaneous users active, you know, at one time. Which is uh that's a pretty big that's a pretty big milestone. Um, now to measure that up against their biggest competitor or you know top dog which is steam steam has 40 million users and uh recently they peaked at 5 million simultaneous users uh you know at the same time so you know 1 million to 5 million is not bad especially since origin's only been around since june um now uh there were a couple quotes from from uh you know EA or say, well the, specifically the origin uh the VP of origin David uh DeMartini uh, he says that he says that uh, the momentum we've achieved with the, with Origins since launching in June has been incredible, buoyed by great games and great partners. He also said our fast-growing user base demonstrates the interest from gamers across the world and fully connected, 365-day digital game experiences. We're committed to evolving the expanding, evolving and expanding Origin to help players get the absolute most out of their games, and we're just getting started. Uh, I gotta be honest with you, I don't think you have the user base uh, that you have because people enjoy Origin all that much. And I don't think there's too many people that argue with me, but if Battlefield Three wasn't an Origin exclusive. You would not have nine point three total, uh, you know, million users. I'll interrupt
1: right there. I put my hand up high in the air, waving it in the classroom. Like, no, I don't use Origin because I fucking love it and I think it's a great service. I use it because it has Battlefield on it. Exactly. That's the only fucking reason that Origin's even there.
0: And you, they're gonna get another boost when Mass Effect Three comes out, since that's an Origin exclusive. I can already tell you that that's gonna happen. And that's, that's, that's exactly.
1: Yeah, that's exactly why they keep putting like really big titles like they keep making them origin exclusive games of Amalur was not an origin exclusive because it was a new franchise and they want to get it as much exposure as possible. Mass Effect's proven. Battlefield's proven. That's why they keep going to origin. That's why they're getting these users you go look at origin like and and go just look at the store like on on, Just on just go look on on the web browser Not even like downloading origin and go look at like the prices and the sales and stuff that they run like up until this past like December-ish like that was like the first time I ever saw like real sales on on origin And even then I was like all of these prices I can get somewhere better and and all the prices that are on origin are fucking terrible like as at their baseline like they I have never bought another game. Mass Effect 2 I got for free. Battlefield 3 I was I bought. That was the only one. But like those are the only two games I went on origin. Period. Like it's not because it's a great service.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like the people don't use origin because they like it that much. And I, I don't know. I I think they know the reality, but you know, you gotta put a brave face on for investors and stuff like that. And it's not like they're doing bad, but don't get it twisted. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't don't get confused. Without those exclusives, people will not be using Origin. And that's just gonna be EA's strategy, you know, for getting more people onto Origin. That's why I, I'm not expecting to see EA or Origin exclusives on Steam for a very, very long time. Until EA realizes, okay, we're we're at the point where, you know, we're not gonna get more people based off of these exclusives. Then they'll still they'll bring it back to Steam. Until I, then, I don't think so.
2: I I can't imagine that they would think that. Uh... Like, you, you as a person who has said, I will not buy games that require Origin because I don't like the product. I can't imagine that EA even believes that you and your like constitute a market worth considering at all. So I, I don't think you'll ever see anything jump over to Steam.
0: Well, I think like once games get older, so like to help just sell them out a little bit more, I think they will bring some games over to Steam. Because the games definitely do jump in sales when they hit Steam, because it's a larger user base, you know? Like right now, original they have a reach of nine point three million people. I'm pretty sure they'd love to have a reach of forty million people. You know? <laughs> right,
2: but if you put those games on Steam, you're never gonna you know you're never gonna get the growth that you want to get to that point. If you keep you know releasing it over there, I think they're gonna hoard it and, and dream of someday being you know out-steaming Steam, which they're not going to do. Well, that's what I said. I mean, like
0: especially like now. I said for a long time, I don't expect Origin exclusives to be on Steam, but eventually, like when when they have games like. When Mass Effect Three is a couple years old, even when Battlefield Three is a couple years old, I think the front we have a hey, Battlefield Three on Steam, and then the resurgence begins.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'll be what happens. I think like it. I, we're not talking months. We're not even talking like oh, you'll see a Battlefield maybe this October. You know, a year later. I like think so. I think we're talking like three years. And the then year. when it does that, it'll be a you know we'll make it a big deal when it when they come back out because, and it, and the titles are kind of evergreen in a weird way because like Battlefield Three, Mass Effect, like they they kind of will probably stand the test of time, especially Mass Effect. Releasing it in three years costs you nothing, especially Not if, if the you, DLC you know, has like bugs. That's <laughs> That's unfortunate though. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's probably the strategy. Neither yeah. one of you is wrong.
0: Yeah, so we'll, we'll see exactly what happens. But uh, also more news coming from the EA camp. Uh, they recently had their uh, their earnings call, and we're not going to really get into you know how well they did. But uh, John Riddicello, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, made an interesting comment, basically giving praise to Call of Duty Elite. Uh, he says, uh, frankly, I give a compliment to one of our competitors who's got a subscription on the back end of an FPS title. Obviously, he's talking about Call of Duty Elite Activision. Uh, you know, he likes the idea. He likes the idea of attaching a service to an FPS. Who would have thought? You know, of course he likes the idea because, you know, they want that money. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, the thing about Call of Duty Elite, I mean, it definitely, it makes more sense to actually get the pay for the year subscription than doing the, the nickel and diamond or, you know, paying for all the DLCs separately, because you do save a little bit of money. I think, like, is, is it like 50 bucks a year for Call of Duty Elite? And each DLC is usually 15 bucks. Right? Call of Duty Elite is like 50 bucks a year, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so Call of Duty is usually like 50 bucks a year. You're talking about like Fifteen bucks for, per DLC. They're talking about releasing DLC like every few weeks now, so it only makes sense that you get the subscription. But you know, I, I guess out of the two evils, it's the better one to do. But I mean, technically speaking, you're playing for two. You're paying for two games. Like you're spending hundred and ten bucks a year on one game, if you look at it that way. And I mean, I know that he likes uh, the money aspect of it, but I pray to God that they don't start trying to attach back-end services to all their different, you know, games. Because EA has a lot of... They have a lot of IP out there. And you, I think people would be surprised if they take this mentality and start trying to attach it to all these different games, how shitty the gaming world would be. <laughs> because, I mean, with Activision, you kind of just have to worry about Call of Duty. You know? They really don't touch the Blizzard stuff. So, that that's usually a bit safer. But with EA, you got Madden, FIFA... You have Need for Speed. You have uh, just, uh, just tons of games. They can attach services onto you. Battlefield. Medal of Honor. And that would be a huge turnoff. <laughs> that would be a huge turnoff for me. if You know, I have to worry about a subscription service. Or getting the DLC for every single game. Not to mention the community fragmentation that would occur from something like this. You know, because, you know, not everybody's going to be able to afford 110 120 bucks for a game every year. You know, for one game, I should say, every year. Spend that type of money. And then, on top of that, some people may not see, you know, want to get the service and get a few DLCs. You know, but not all the DLCs. So, now you got to worry about that. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the, of the whole subscription service on top of a game I already paid for thing not really a fan of that at all and I mean I was kind of hoping that Call of Duty Elite would fall flat but they already have like a couple million users I think for Call of Duty Elite like it's doing well Activision also had their earnings call Activision is doing great (laughs) let me tell you that much Activision is doing just fine as expected so I don't know what do you guys think
1: I think that EA praising this is the scariest thing I've ever heard of but I'm not surprised Right. I don't know. I mean, just I don't want to see things go down this road. It There's a way that they can go down this road and the road is nice and we all hold hands and we skip down it and there's a yellow brick road and we all see the wizard and it's great and wonderful. and We go back home to Kansas, but we'll never see that ever because look at what happened. Like we've already talked about with Call of Duty Elite you're basically paying $110 for a game that was $60 before yep. to get more or less the same stuff. And even if you're not, you're paying $50 to get about half of what you got for $15. Like, like just this past, you know, the last time the game came out, you know, there were five map packs of, you know, five maps in each pack, you know, every drop. And now you're talking like, oh, there's like two maps that get dropped within like a couple months and then a couple more after that. and then, Yeah. Like I I don't want to see it on Battlefield, I don't. <laughs> right. I would like to see more maps and stuff. but I'd like to see it done the right way, and I don't feel like the way Elite's doing it is like it's of a real value to the customer. It's a I'm sure it's a great value to the company, but customers, I, I don't know. Even if I'm even if I was that hardcore into it, eh still don't necessarily see it i mean like yes if you're gonna go- buy all the stuff it's the most cost-effective way to go i don't know i just don't like it
0: <laughs> like exactly. i don't like
1: the direction
0: i would rather not spend that extra money
1: <laughs> right give me give me a decent amount to, to be worth the 60 dollars i paid for it in the first place before you think about how you're going to force me to pay another 50 dollars, you know for maps that Half of them probably should have been inside, you know, in the in the game in the first place. You know, you know
2: well, that's the I guess the one thing that I wonder about this is like, aren't the developers, especially with this generation, haven't a lot of the developers been complaining, and, and I guess mostly like the EA developers, um, that like that the cost of current generation games should be about a hundred dollars a a a disc. And it almost seems like this is sort of their way of finally getting that cost to that price point without having to sort of you know, you know, scare everybody off by paying that fee up front. Uh, so, so it almost seems like you know, by taking content, which, like you said, probably should have been included at the get-go, they're not really, you know, they're not really taking that, the, the extra money and, and putting that into like, extra development. But it seems like maybe they're actually just trying to get back towards you – know, well, maybe not get back towards zero, but I guess make the, the kinds of riches that they were expecting making all along.
0: But you know what? The thing is, a lot of those dollars, I can see if it actually costs that much to develop a game, but it doesn't. Because when you talk about Call of Duty, a lot of, that, a lot of the, that money goes to marketing. It goes to marketing. Do you really need to have a Call of Duty Jeep with every single Call of Duty that comes out? Do you need to have all these celebrities in your commercials? Especially for Call of Duty, they could literally have a, call, a commercial. Five-second spot on TV, new Call of Duty's out. Boom! That's all they need because of the type of game that Call of Duty is. That Call of Duty is. They could easily have a trailer that showed just gameplay from the game, as opposed to all of the 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 high the high paid actors. There's the, a uh, soldier in all of us. Look, Kobe Bryant's
1: in this commercial, yeah. not looking like he can shoot a gun at all. Yeah, <laughs> the
0: the the, uh, the amount of money they're paying for the rights to play the songs they play in the background, the special effects, all that stuff. That money is not going to development because if it was call of duty wouldn't be a shitty game that's how i feel about it preach thank you that's what i saying like call of duty would not be a, a, a shitty game like it is uh, maybe it would because they're trying to go for the lowest common denominator but still it wouldn't be a shitty game and the the, the, the development costs just aren't that much a lot of that money is going to the bullshit that we don't need
2: but they're factoring the cost of the bullshit in ahead of time. When they're planning out the game, they're planning out however much for the development and then however much for the marketing. So even though, yeah, we're looking at that and saying that that money is all extraneous and you really don't need to be spending it. They're thinking like, no, we do, because now they've set up this cycle where they have to keep hyping the next game so it will sell well. So they get more money so they can keep hyping the next game so it will sell well, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, just not, you're not wrong yeah. at all. That is exactly what they've done. Like it's kind of like painting yourself into a corner in a way, because now like you can't avoid that hundred million dollars or whatever you need to spend in marketing each year. At least because, they think
0: that they can't well, avoid it.
1: I think they can't because I think if you go purely by word of mouth, like you'll sell copies of the game, but it's easy for bad word of mouth to spread as as well as it is for good word of mouth. Marketing is always going to be positive, and I think that marketing is is a power. Like is a very much still a power. With certain things, but you go strictly by word of mouth with Call of Duty. You'll sell a few million copies. You're also gonna have a lot of people avoid it after they hear their friends say, "Like, oh man, yeah." Well, this year
0: less marketing <laughs> dollars doesn't mean necessarily mean less exposure. You can have just as many Call of Duty spots on TV and everything that you had before. That's but, okay. I understand and, what and still saying. and still spend less money doing it.
2: But they're not right. paying for exposure. They're paying for cachet. Cachet. <laughs> Nice, I'm- I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, I'm just
0: saying, like you could, like I said, you can easily have a game, just a, a video display in the gameplay. I mean, Call of Duty itself is a big old movie. You know, it's a big movie. But that's the it's point. a big old and- movie. But you show that gameplay, and how are you? Uh, let's
1: be realistic for just a second. That if you put Battlefield, Call of Duty, Homefront, uh, even like Crisis. Like kill zone next to each other, and you just show like ten seconds, fifteen seconds of just quick gameplay. Aside from like people who have actually sat there and played the game, like and know the nuances and the differences between each of those games, the average person who the targeting they're targeting with that Call of Duty marketing is gonna look at those games and say it's the same fucking thing.
0: Well, with Call of Duty and Battlefield, yes, Kill Zone. Uh, and- I mean, to a certain extent, I. I Yes, but I mean, like, realistically,
1: like, you're staring down the barrel of a gun, like, depending on what gameplay you show, but, like, for the most part, it's, like, when you, it, it, okay, then just, you know, kill kill zone out of it, you know, just pick modern combat games, which there are many to choose from. Right. They all look the fucking same. So, like, that that gameplay marketing video, it makes a lot of sense technically, you know, fiscally, as far as, like, money you know, money goes and stuff like that and not paying for actors and all that crap. That's not what it's about. It's about the show, man. It's about the it's about the celebrities playing your game and they show up and they talk. They, you can't even buy press that good. Although they did, really, I guess. Yeah, exactly, they but, did. <laughs> but you can't buy press so good that, like, you know, people who otherwise aren't necessarily gamers are like, oh, dude, that new Call of Duty, John, go get that shit. That shit is out. We can all play together. Here's my fucking gamer. You can't pay for publicity like that to have like uh, just celebrities just, you know, free and clear of any kind of paying them for anything. Just talking about your game. And like, that's the kind of word of mouth that Call of Duty spreads with that hundred million dollars marketing. You just go gameplay video and normal kind of, just, oh, this is the game. They could maybe get away with it now because it's Call of Duty.
0: Well, exactly, that's the thing. It is Call of Duty. They can get away with it, actually. But how be- long
1: before that diminishes that Call of Duty is the fucking thing to be at? You know, the Call of Duty is the thing to get. It's, a, it's almost like a party and everybody's invited. You know, how long before that kind of like diminishes over time? Because it's like, oh, it's just kind of like every other game.
0: Well, but that's when the game, when the actual gameplay of Call of Duty comes into into play. But we've already it, established it's shitty. No, it is, <laughs> it, it's shitty. The Call of Duty is a shitty game. I'm not retracting that statement. But people like people like what me and you and and uh, well, I don't think Nick's played it, but you know, we'll say that Call of Duty is a shitty game. But people who don't really understand how Battlefield works, which is the closest competitor to Call of Duty. They don't like Battlefield because they die a lot. They run around too much. There's not enough killing. The maps are too large. Call of Duty is made for people like that. Call of Duty is made for the for the least common denominator. It's made it's it's made for people to jump into it and just be able to play it like point and shoot. That's what it is. It's the simplicity behind it is what is what drives it. Just like Angry Birds, Call of Duty is Angry Birds. <laughs> Angry birds with guns. Angry birds with guns. It is for the, it is the lower for the lower lowest common denominator. People to jump in, feel good about themselves because they got a headshot and rock and roll music plays every 20 minutes when they level up. <laughs> Exactly. That's what it is, and that's why Call of Duty is successful. I mean, Call of Duty used to be a good game. When Call of Duty was a good game, when it was challenging, when there was a learning curve, it did well. But when they took the learning curve out, when they took the learning curve away from Call of Duty, that game flew. It flew. And that's that's the lesson for the day. <laughs> you know, but that's they like, you know, that's when the Call of Duty's gameplay would come into effect. When people put, like, they play Call of Duty, they play Battlefield, and those people go back to Call of Duty because they wreck face in Call of Duty. Actually, Call of Duty, just having gameplay videos, you know, in the commercials might work to their favor because if somebody saw a Call of Duty gameplay video and then saw a Battlefield gameplay video, they probably think it was Call of Duty. You know? They probably would think it's Call of Duty if it was between the two. I guess that's true. You know, so. I don't know. I mean, it's obviously working for Activision. I'm not saying that it's going to collapse on itself because I don't think it is. Uh, Call of Duty is a casual gamer's game, if you ask me, and it's gonna it's gonna continue to succeed. It's you know the thing is, people are kind of getting tired of it. So if they just continue down this path and just burn it out like they did Tony Hawk and like they did with the Guitar Hero then it will eventually fizzle out. But all they have to do is add a couple new things to it, and then the whole cycle begins again, unfortunately for us.
1: I do have to say, though, like <laughs> that brings us back to the next point where they, they literally can't stop doing what they've done, which is put the big marketing behind it and the the, the show and the spectacle and all that stuff, and then continue on. I don't know how did this turn
0: into Call of Duty again.
1: <laughs> we're talking about act- We're talking yeah, we about EA.
0: EA. <laughs> it did, it, well, EA brought it, it, EA started it. When so he said true. it was a good idea. But hopefully EA they don't take they don't they don't just take that path because I think that would be terrible for gamers for core gamers if EA took that path because you know they're like what are you gonna do are you just are you not gonna play games you can't do that because you're a gamer you know so hopefully. I mean, I know he likes the idea, maybe it's putting ideas into his head, but ho- hopefully he doesn't execute it like, you know, Call of Duty Elite does. So we'll just see we'll see what happens. But uh we're gonna move on uh to our next topic, which is uh regarding Sony. Now for those who uh you know like to keep up with the news, you know that uh there is a new uh new sheriff in town. Well there's gonna be a new sheriff in town over at Sony. Uh Kazuo Harai, which I believe is that's how you pronounce his name. Kazuo Harai is uh, going to be uh, CEO of Sony Entertainment. Well, Sony, period. Uh, Right now, he's the guy who's in charge of uh, the PlayStation business. He's actually the one that kind of saved the PS3. It was back in 2006 um, when Ken uh, Kutaragi was in charge, when he was the president for, uh, you know, Sony uh entertainment and uh you know he was in charge of the PS3 he was reporting that they were going to have a loss of 2 billion dollars for 2006 the so fiscal year 2006 and uh Hirai, what he did he came in uh and he the one of the first things he did was reduce the cost of producing the PS3 he's the guy who got rid of the backward compatibility Uh, which I shake my fist at, but it worked out well for Sony because it reduced the price of the PS3 and making the PS3 cheaper. And then also, uh, you know, getting better marketing, getting Kevin Butler in there, uh, you know, for for the marketing and, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, this guy is the one who kind of, you know, he was integral in, in that. So he's being moved from there and promoted to Big Chief over at Sony. I think that's taking place in April, right, Rob?
1: That is correct. Stringer is gonna Howard Stringer, Sir Howard Stringer, is gonna be uh, moving to the board. Just you know, just the board and stepping out of the CEO. And Kaz, as he's colloquially known, is gonna be stepping in for just general CEO Sony now.
0: Yeah. So uh, one thing, the reason I I, I put this into the show today, because we don't want to talk about you know just technology in general. Uh but one of the things you know he said uh well actually, the article itself in Developers online is that it says Sony cannot go on like this uh will make a long story short. you know he says that you know sony they're they're kind of a hardware juggernaut, and they can't just focus on the hardware itself uh His big point was that um you know Sony they need to focus on the user experience and not just the hardware and this gives me hope for Sony. Well, actually, I had hope before, but I think they put the right man in the right position here to say that it's not just about the hardware, it's about the user experience. Because, I mean, you can have great hardware. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, for example, my computer is great hardware. But if I were to give it to, like, my grandmother, you know what I'm saying? She wouldn't know what to do with it. So you can have a machine that has. Oh, that.
1: you got that solitaire.
0: Okay, <laughs> you know, that's that. I mean, that's an extreme. But like you know, having great, like, you know, the average person, like they're only gonna do so much with the hardware. You need to work on making the user experience smooth and enjoyable and you know unique. And Sony, if Sony can focus on that, uh, the user experience overall. I think that all of their products, and in particular, the PS4, is going to be spectacular, I think, personally. Um, I know right now, like, they said that uh, Sony has uh, over 20,000 different products. And uh, he says that he has to review and make decisions on all 20,000 products. Pretty much decide, you know, whether they're going to keep them, they're going to get rid of them. Um, They want to expand out to new business areas, but at the same time, they want to narrow their business portfolio, and they can actually narrow down, uh, you know, everything that they're doing. Um, Well, I shouldn't say narrow down everything they're doing, but if they narrow down to, you know, uh, less programs, you know, if they're not all over the place and trying to integrate all of their different products all over the place, uh, they can actually focus on making a more quality product and I hope they take this approach with the PlayStation 4. Um, I hope they, you know, with the PlayStation 4, they actually keep gamers <laughs> in the loop, you know, and I shouldn't say in the loop, but, you know, core gamers in their thoughts as they're making it, because, I don't know, from what I'm hearing about Microsoft or what we've heard from Microsoft and even the decisions they're making now, it seems to me that they are pushing the core gamer away for a more family-oriented console. And I think if if sony wants to take back you know the gamer cuz microsoft has definitely won this console war this generation console war microsoft has won it because sony made too many mistakes they first they came in with the playstation 3 too cocky thinking that people were going to pay 5 600 dollars for this machine just because it's a playstation and that didn't happen and then they made several other mistakes along the way but if they come in strong with the ps4 that's for the core gamer and still a gaming device, but still a media device like the PS3, I think they can do great things.
2: You know, I don't get your optimism um, because you're, He's talking about focusing on the user experience. I don't feel that the user experience is something that you focus on if you care about the core gamer. The core gamer will get to the game no matter how many menus you bury, you know, how how many how many you know a button presses you have to, to go through, how many clicks you have to go to install a game. They'll get there and they'll play their game. And I think when, if you're gonna if you talk about focusing on the user, you're talking about focusing on the casual the casual user. Um, I, 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 I assume this is a good sign I assume this is a good sign Only because he does come from the PlayStation stock If he's in charge of the entire, entire Sony empire Then you know he can put more weight behind that Although it seems like Sony has put a lot of weight behind that anyway So I'm not sure that he can put more weight behind it um, But it, 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 I don't know. I, 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 I again, you, you keep hearing some of these terms, and, and I don't feel that there's a strong. I don't know. I, keep, I think we're all holding out for some kind of core gamer console, and I don't know that it's going to come. Nick,
0: you are such a Debbie Downer. You really are. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll explain why I'm optimistic. There, uh, there is no negative to having. A good user experience yes a core gamer will get to the games no matter what but if it's easier to get to the games or if the the interface is more fluid or if the experience is more enjoyable i'm more than likely going to use that console as opposed to using another one like for example my xbox now for me to you know for me to move around it and play games that i, I want to i mean like if i just played a game like for example Getting into shank Two because I just played it takes no time. but what if I want to play one of my older games that's buried under you know a bunch of tiles. Uh, I'd much rather play those games on my PlayStation three now. I'm actually playing more games on my p s three than I am on my xbox three sixty at this point. I'm watching more movies both not just uh not just you know movies with discs but downloaded movies like when I download a movie or I download a show. I'll watch that I'm watching that on my PS3 now as opposed to my Xbox three sixty. My Xbox three sixty is always what I used to play it on. I mean I even like you know, a couple months ago, you know, I always used to say my it's the first thing I used to turn turn on was my Xbox when I came home. It's one of the first things that I used to turn on. Because I used to turn uh, I used to turn it on and I either play a game or I'd stream a show, watch Netflix, stuff like that. Now I, I kind of do all that on my PS3 because I don't feel like being bothered with my PlayStation or my uh, Xbox 360.
2: Yeah, and which <laughs> console just had a, uh, a dashboard update to make it more user-friendly? Well, that's the thing. The
0: Xbox 360 dashboard update was not made to make it more user-friendly. The dashboard update for the Xbox 360 was made to do two things. Push entertainment more, push, uh, put entertainment uh, more in front, uh, in front of you. And then on top of that, push connect, because if you have a connect, apparently it's really easy to to navigate that dashboard. It
1: is, sadly. But, yeah, yeah. But he's not wrong. But I, I think that it was an update for user experience, but not for gamer experience. Like it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't more gamer friendly. It was more user friendly,
0: even which well, I think is I'm an important still a, thing. I'm still a user.
1: I know that you friendly. are, but but you look at it from the perspective of a gamer, like, now gaming is no longer front and center. It's relegated to like here's a side tile, but here's some advertisements and here's the Hangover and
0: here's whatever the movie of the moment is and here's some music and here's Zune and Britney Spears. And but if it was more user friendly, I would still watch movies and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't even do that anymore. That's, I, a, that's what I'm saying. Like let's let's knock out the gaming portion altogether. Because the truth of the matter is, if I want to play a game that's on a disc, that's my first tile on the Xbox 360. Recent games, that's my second tile. If I want to play older downloaded games, that's a different story. That's what I was complaining about. Indie games, I have to go, like, search the Wild West to find. But, like, you know, even getting to Netflix, getting just to, like, uh, to to the place that lets me view movies so I can stream them, that's a pain in my ass right now. Now, like I said, the dashboard update for the Xbox 360 was about the connect, and it was about putting entertainment forward.
1: Okay, so it was more connect user-friendly.
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly so what I'm saying. Like, yeah. yeah. User-friendly. But that's the thing. Like, even, like you, know, um, you know, Hawaii, he's not necessarily saying, you know, user-friendly interface. He's talking about user experience in general. And if they go into the PlayStation 4 thinking that the users are gamers as opposed to just casual people... I think we're going to be okay. I think so. That's, that's just me. I mean, of course everybody can disagree, but yeah, that's why I think we're going to be okay. I'm not saying this is written in stone that Sony's, you know, our our video game woes are over. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just hopeful. Hallelujah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I don't disagree. Like, Kaisarai is a smart guy, and that's why they put him in charge of PlayStation. Ken Kuduragi signed his death warrant when he went to E3, and he was basically like, like, what? You guys are going to pay for it anyway when it was, like, $600, like, when it was announced, like, how much it was going to be for, like, the, you know, the top model. Like, he signed his death warrant. Kazurai was already in a fast track, you know, before he made that announcement they were going to lose that much money. So he took over. He made all these changes. Like, that's why I feel good about him being... Moved into Sony in general because like Sony has been on a slide. Like there's still a hardware juggernaut. There's still a juggernaut in general, but like they do need to, you know, like dinosaurs need to evolve or they die. You know, so I feel like he is the person for the job. And maybe we're getting too deep into the whole user experience part of the thing. But but I I like the fact that they picked somebody with enough clarity and enough honesty to say like the company is in trouble if we stay the way that we are. Like, you know, he's like, uh, in fact, he even says in the interview, like, it's like one issue after another. I feel like, holy shit, now what? <laughs>
0: like,
1: <laughs> and that to me just that reflects like a little bit of honesty to say that for real, like we have issues because usually you have somebody who steps in. Oh, Sony's the greatest company on earth and blah 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 do. And not that he doesn't say that, but, you know, he's at least honest about the fact that they have issues and they need things to change. And that's why I feel You know good about it more so than like user experience or whatever else because we could talk about the nuances of what that might mean all day because I think we are on a point where we're having an inevitable march towards there being not just more entertainment options available but then being placed on a more equal footing with gaming in you know in in certain you know consoles and uh, you know other places and things like that because they want they want exposure so yeah right. user experience i do think applies to casual people you know casual gamers as well but that's like a semantic thing that like we could talk about all day but i i like the fact they pick somebody with clarity but he had that clarity when he was a playstation i don't think it changes now
0: right yeah i'm not saying that you know oh he's gonna he's gonna get rid of all the casuals you know them, them dare casuals and get rid of them and you know you want that though. <laughs> he just off his uh, so little
1: tiny mustache. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, you're not saying that. I mean, I I think, you know, mixing entertainment with the consoles is here to stay. And I I I like the fact that it, Netflix is on my Xbox. I like the fact that, you know, I can I can stream movies on my PS3 or my Xbox 360. You know, stuff like that. I'm not saying any of that is bad, but with the way like the direction that the Xbox 360 or Microsoft is headed it just feels like they are going more toward the casual gamer or i I shouldn't even say the casual gamer they're trying to go with a they want everybody to use the xbox 360 everybody in your whole family and that's part of the problem well i shouldn't say that's part of the problem but that's the thing that's why they're making the decisions that they are regarding the dashboard regarding you know the connect and all that stuff so
1: the more planets that you hold in your grasp, the more will slip through your fingers. And there's your obligatory Star Wars quote of the day. Yes, thank What's you. Let's move on.
0: Yeah, so yeah, let's uh let's move on to our next uh, topic. Which, oh, yeah. this is
1: the show. The show we came to see, kind of. I mean, it's not yeah. our last topic, but double fine. Yeah, this yeah. is
0: regarding double fine. Should be triple fine by now. <laughs> oh, oh, Cut with the <laughs> Yeah, so uh double fine. Actually we got this press release late last night. Uh, I think it was like around nine something. I, I sent Rob a message saying, Hey, yeah, it's nine o'clock. Yeah, let's uh yeah, let's get this on the site. Um so we got a press release. Tim Schaefer uh said that they were going to be crowdfunding or try attempting to crowdfund the game. Uh, it was a point and click adventure and they needed four hundred thousand dollars and um you know, within th- within about thirty three days. And basically that would pay for the game. It would pay for, I think it was a two player, uh, two player studios name of the, of the company. I was doing the documentary Two-player so player, productions. Two player they did
1: production. uh, the Minecraft, uh, documentary from Minecraft to Mojang or
0: whatever they called it. Right. Yeah. So they were going to do, you know, they were paying them to do the documentary and plus a bunch of other goodies, uh, you know, that you, that you can get that, you know, that's what it will go toward. Um, So they were asking for $400,000. There was a nice little video talking about it. And, uh... Yeah, so they were asking for that. And within about eight hours, they hit their goal for $400,000. Now, when I... This is how fast this happened. When, When I got the press release, about 15 minutes after I got it, I checked out the page. And it said $133 pledged. That's what it said. Um... By the time Rob had put up the press release, it was already up by a few thousand dollars, which, I don't know, was a half hour after that.
1: Yeah, when I, when I got it from you at nine, it was I, I, when I saw it, it was like around $900 or something. When I refreshed the page, like, I don't even remember why I refreshed it, but I just refreshed the page, like 20 minutes later, it was at $20,000. And that rate kept going. This is the point in the MASHcast where I'm sorry. I have, well, I'm, I'm not going to say I have nothing bad to say. I, I'll have something bad to say. But I, this is the part where I have no bad things. No no bad feelings. This is happy time in the MASHcast, which is kind of rare. But, like, okay. They're at the point now where they've made a million dollars. Because we've already said, we've already talked about that kind of at the beginning. Um, they were looking for 400000 at the rate that Kickstarter, like this was before they hit a million dollars too. It was when they had a little bit less than 800000 At the rate that they were making uh, pledges on Kickstarter, they were making $936 every minute. They have broken like every Kickstarter record. Like everyone. Like they've they've had like the most fun in the least amount of time. They broke like the. They just broke like every barrier that like Kickstarter ever had. Yay! <laughs> like, I have nothing bad to say about it. Uh, hooray. Uh, yay. I mean, like, really, like, they, like it's, it, it was crazy. Like, before I went to bed, they had already passed their mark. Like, yeah. Th- like, the, when I got it, like, the, the press, like, the release actually finally went up, like, I think, like, 10 or maybe. Yeah. And then, 1140 something, like, they were just underneath 400,000. Uh, by like after by midnight they'd hit it and you know that's just a couple hours later five hours after they did it like they had hit 600,000 like they they had come close like to almost double like the rate has just been like like that like of course it's slowed down a little bit since then but it's been just ridiculous and this is the only bad thing I really have to say about it. Well, number one, people who say that this is like some terrible thing because, like, like I've literally seen people on Twitter who are like, "Oh, well, this is this is terrible because you know they're not curing cancer and they're not curing AIDS in in Africa or something." So I, God, why is this a big deal? Fuck yourself. <laughs> 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 like, you can look at any project like Kickstarter and say something like that. Like, it is a big deal. Like, it's it's a, like kind of a watershed moment for games, but. It doesn't change everything necessarily, because like uh, in fact, another Twitter uh, and I, I, you know, credit where credit's due. Like somebody said, any indie studio who looks at what's happening to, to Double Fine right now and sees it as an a- and sees Kickstarter as an ATM is going to be sorely disappointed. And the and and they're right because Double Fine has like a decade of games behind it. Like they've. Come out on a regular basis and made good games that people like and that's why their quick is doing so well it's not because oh We're made we're a game studio. We're making a game. Yeah millions of dollars like it doesn't work like that That is not how it works and it will never I don't think it will ever be how it works people don't have that much money <laughs> yeah, exactly. so I you know, like those things aside, like this is a great moment because it's a gamers. This wasn't even like there was reports about like you know uh, Notch offering to fund Psychonauts too, which they're still going. They're still going to talk about. They're talking about it at uh, GDC, I think. Um But that that hasn't happened. This has nothing to do with that. Like this is we want to make an old school point and click adventure game, like the games that Tim Schafer made his mark making, and that's what this Kickstarter is for. Four hundred thousand dollars is all they asked for, and they've more than doubled it all the money is going to go into the all the extra money is going to go into the game and into the documentary so now the game is going to be even more awesome and we'll probably hit more platforms than just pc
2: it's
1: gamers talking with their money oh go ahead
2: Oh, no, no. I, I was just gonna say that the one person I'd love to talk to about this right now is Tim Jaffe, because if he's out there talking to peeps and he sees this happening at the exact same time that he's now, I guess, unemployed to a degree, I have to think he's he's at least considering this.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure David Jaffe is talking. You know, talking to people about it. Like, I make just a man. I make, I make God of War. Like, that's the thing. Like, when you have people who are not just. I don't want to say like they're established because like, oh, they worked with publishers or oh, they're they've been so big over time because like not everything Double Fine's done has been like a huge economic success. You know, like they've been critically acclaimed, not necessarily monetarily, but you just have to have the, you know, a, a decent team together that of, of people who have made good games. You'll see results. I could if David Jaffe gets a team together, I absolutely could. I absolutely guarantee that he could do something similar.
0: Yeah, like if you if you have some big titles behind you, uh, you know, or, you know, known big titles, or you know, if you, if they know if players know who you are, I'm pretty sure you can.
1: Yeah, and but the, and the thing is too is like. The only downside to this, the only real downside to this is like eventually like, you know, because people are going to see this in ATM regardless of what anybody else says. So you're going to have that person that gets funding for their game. You know, they they do pretty well. I mean, nobody's I don't think we're ever going to. I don't think we're going to see anybody do double fine well for a while, Uh, but they're going to do well. And then they're going to have a game and it's going to come out. and It's going to suck. Yeah, because it's it's inevitable it is inevitable i'm sure there's been indie games that have been funded through through kickstarter that have sucked because it's not the first time a game has been funded through kickstarter like don't misunderstand indie devs do this all the time but it's just the first time a major studio has done it but the the time is going to come when a major studio does do this or like somebody big behind a game like you know does this and it's going to flop like the game is just going to be fucking terrible gamers get to talk with their money though next time that person wants to come up and say like oh i'm gonna come to bat and make a game nobody's gonna fund it
2: exactly but so. i th- I think what, what this highlights though is i guess there, there's a certain sweet spot in the market for like i mean fundamentally like you know D- double fine makes you know like cult Revered games like cult classics And there's always been like a a, I guess a calling you know even then there's a reason Why you know not just talking about psychonauts too. you know that you know psychonauts Psychonauts was beloved and yet None of the publishers felt that They could justify publishing You know it wasn't worth investing in that So I I think here we're looking That you can get a million dollars You know I guess fundamentally Six hundred thousand profit Off of a game Like that without needing you know is and is that i guess that's not enough for a, a publisher then it's not
1: though it's that not that's
2: not enough for a publisher
1: yeah that's the and that's the real problem in fact the the other part that uh to this was that tim schafer like he had said before um like recently just before all this happened is that publishers are scared of new properties um in fact the whole thing that kicked off not offering to fund psychonauts too is that he said he has pitched psychonauts to multiple times to multiple to different publishers and nobody wants to nobody wants to take the chance because of the monetary investment and the you know the not necessarily big return on it you know because like it can be a really great game but not but you know if it makes five hundred thousand dollars profit they get their money back more or less plus a little bit more it's still not enough to them it's not enough to even bother funding it that's why you see so many sequels and stuff now like a new IP I mean Psychonauts two would be a sequel but splitting hairs you know but new ip or ip that's you know critically like a sequel to enslaved are you gonna see it probably not you know like if it didn't do like monstrously well you don't sell five million copies of the game no you're, you're nobody's interested but i think this is like kind of an opportunity for in a way for the there to be like another avenue like i don't think you know publishers are never going away but it's another avenue that you know people who can who can back up the you know the talk can fund their games a different way you know gamers can talk with their money and actually decide what they even want to see the hit market much less you know the, the, what gets funded and what, what doesn't you know like publishers aren't the only aren't the the the, the end all be all anymore i guess right. So I think that's the, I think that's the important part of it. Like not everything changes, but it is an important moment, I think.
0: Yeah. That's the thing. I think this is going to show, like, I don't think anybody should take this as like a, you know, oh, we don't need publishers anymore. <laughs> you know I'm saying? We have the crowds to help us, you know, fund our projects. Nobody should take, you know, take it like that. But I do think it should show devs that, you know, there are other ways to get their projects funded. And uh, I, I don't think anybody who's brand new to, you know, I don't think uh, anybody who's brand new doesn't have like a lot of uh or doesn't have any any weight behind their name should just come out and try to do this and expect the same results for sure. Uh, but, you know, let's say Supergiant doesn't want to go through a publisher next time they, they have a game, you know, oh, we're the guys who made Bastion and now we have this idea. Yeah, they may not do this well, but I'm pretty sure they can do well enough to, to, to get a game out. And live, yeah, you know? uh,
1: they they could. I uh, the, and the other the only la- like last thing I'm point I make is that people think that like them making a million dollars like it is a very big deal because they were shooting for four hundred thousand. Like it's a big deal because of how many records they broken and how much money they made over the period of time that they made it. They still have a month left, but a million dollars would not fund Psychonauts two. Definitely. Like if this was about Psychonauts two, they'd probably still need two more million dollars so like making a game is expensive like they, they basically kind of chose like here we could do a point and click adventure game on pc and like this is our shoestring budget which is four hundred thousand dollars which is a lot of money so
0: yeah that's just like, for a point and click adventure game
1: <laughs> right so like you're not talking like oh we're gonna crowdfund mass effect 4 or something I mean, It it can't happen so therefore you know publishers are still important but you know, like at least it's another option for something that's maybe not as big, maybe a little bit smaller, but it is very expensive to make a game at this point. So yeah. don't misunderstand. Like that's that's why it's not like oh publishers are going away because they
0: they're not. They're not now, no. but there are you know alternatives. I just wouldn't expect any AAA titles to come out of something like this. So, but uh yeah, I guess we'll get another. Uh, well, did you give us the new number from the from the beginning? No, because that's the end of the mashcast. Oh, okay. It's,
1: pretty, it's gone up a decent amount, but uh,
0: I'm waiting. Right. To the end. Well, we'll wait to the end. Okay, that's fine. Uh, well, next topic we're gonna go into. Uh, the, the actual name of the article is uh called uh, "Subscription MMOs Not Dead Yet," and it was uh, an article in Games Industry. Uh, they were talking to Adam Mursky. And the the big thing that I pulled out of, of this article was that it says, uh, it's probably not right to say the subscription MMO, uh, is dying. This is a quote from him that the subscription MMO is dying. It's probably more right to say the idea of forcing a player to only have one option for having to, uh, one option for having to consume your content that's probably dying. Which I thought was very interesting because, uh, uh, well, for free, there's a couple things of free-to-play games. Um, first of all, when it comes to free-to-play games, from a consumer standpoint, a lot of people think that you know free-to-play games are are just garbage. You know, they're they're, they're crap, and that's not really the case. Um, another thing about free-to-play games is that from I get from you know from what I can see, I can't say it firsthand because I don't work in the offices of these game developers. But from what I can see. Free to play seems like a a last resort. It's something that you do when your game fails at retail. You know, you can't move it, move it to free to play, and then see what happens. Uh, but the statement that Adam made here, you know, I think is very accurate. Um, there is definitely still room for a subscription based MMO. Like some people don't want to care or worry about having to, you know, get to a certain part of the game. And then paying, you know, this much to get extra content, or this to get this weapon. Like they want the whole shebang. They want everything, and that's why they pay their fifteen dollars a month. But then there are other players that, you know, they may not think the fifteen dollars a month is is worth it. Or even more so, I think the case is when it comes to free to play games, it gives your the player a reason to try it. I mean, there are so many games out right now so many games out right now that, you know, if you have to spend money on it, like, why would I try this MMO? Why am I going to try, uh, you know, DCU? Uh, Why am I going to try the new EverQuest? Why am I going to try this game? Why am I going to try that game? But, you know, the games may actually be good. Like, you know, I said it before, I wasn't even going to play DCU until, you know, once I went free to play, I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I enjoyed it. I would have never known that I was going to enjoy DCU unless I knew that I was free, you know, unless it was free to play. So, you know, these free to play models, first of all, they, they pull players in and then on top of that, then you also, you do get your options in terms of how you, you want to pay for it. Do you want to pay for it at all? Uh, you know, in DCU's case, they're actually very liberal, liberal with that. Cause you can actually go through the whole game without paying for anything. Um, but in some games like, okay, well you get this much game if you, you play for free. Um, then you say okay well if you want these classes you can pay for this or you just get the subscription base and you don't have to worry about that at all and uh you know i'm just glad that this is the view of somebody who is you know i would say he's an important administrator he's a he's a digital communications director at Warner Brothers Interactive uh so i would say you know he you know he's pretty he's up there <laughs> you know he's high, he's high up there and i can't imagine that he's the only person who thinks like this that it's not that the subscription MMO model is dying, and we need to nickel and dime players, and that's how we're going to get our money. But it's more about giving them options on how they actually want to play. Now that being said, I don't think this model can work in every type of game. Uh, but if the if if you know this approach was taken, to, let's say something more static, like a first-person shooter, like let's say. They let you buy the single player for thirty bucks and then let you buy the multiplayer for thirty bucks. How
2: does that sound to you? Like that sounds like a great idea to me. What do you guys think? I think you're getting dangerously close to to setting up uh, Call of Duty Elite. It's uh
1: <laughs>
0: You know I, don't Nick, know
1: I don't know why that is so funny to me right now, but it is <laughs>
0: You know Nick Jarrett's Activision. <laughs> don't even look at me tomorrow, dude. <laughs> don't even look at. Don't even look in my direction. <laughs> but go ahead, finish saying what oh. you're going to say, so I can refute it.
2: Well, oh no, it, it, it's. I mean, I mean, f- fundamentally, I think the challenge of any gamer or not gamer, but any gaming company in the digital distribution, the age of digital distribution, is to figure out the best way to get your product to the most number of people, and figure out. The pricing model for that, and and there are a lot of people who will like your product in varying amounts, and one pricing scheme doesn't fit everybody. I, I think, I think this is an incredibly hard time to work in. In, in I guess not not the marketing department, but the the, the retail department of of any publisher because. The, the the studies they have to I I would hope I would hope they're doing studies to figure out well if we sell you know our subscription at seven ninety nine a month we'll make this much if we sell at fifteen you know fifteen ninety nine a month we'll make this much I'd hope they're doing the studies I hope they have those numbers but I don't I don't I I don't know how accurate those numbers would be even it's 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 almost scary in a way um, but I, I think I mean but the philosophy that he's espousing is completely is completely one hundred percent correct
0: yeah I mean, I think like. Things like Call of Duty Elite is a little different because the price there there is a cost to entry to Call of Duty Elite. There's a, there's a sixty dollar cost to entry to Call of Duty Elite because without Call of Duty you, you can't even try it. As opposed to thirty for the single player. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like if you were to apply it to a first person shooter, like the, the the complete like a la carte model. You know what I'm saying? You're like with Call of Duty, you have to pay sixty dollars and that gets you to single and multiplayer. The with the Elite service, if you buy that service or if you buy the DLC out card that's all additionals. You know what I'm saying? You're not necessarily buying components, the actual components of the game separately. You're buying additions onto the components of the game.
2: Yeah, but I, th- I think that's where you run the risk uh, of possibly isolating people is when you take certain elements and, and restrict them wholesale. I, I think... More often than not, I, I think one of the reasons you praise DCU is that the entire the entire experience is there. It's just you know sort of sort of little little added you know add on you know costume add ons and, and stuff of that nature that that is really where they're where they're making their money. And I think that's I, I think that's maybe a more lucrative direction. Uh, but I mean, fundamentally, couldn't you take any game and, and isolate it down? I mean, take Mass Effect three and, and isolate out the uh, you know the co op from that, or, or isolate out the connect from that, or uh, any, anything like that, I if you I think can, that. you
0: can totally do that. But the thing is, you have to you, st- you have to make the base product worthwhile. Like if I pay thirty dollars for the single player of you know, let's say Battlefield, I need to feel like that's worthwhile. I don't want to pay thirty bucks and then be like, well, now I have to spend an additional five dollars on this, and I have to spend an additional ten dollars on this because that's the thing. That's the reason with DCU, like I didn't have to spend that money. I wanted to spend that money. Because I felt that I, I, uh, the value that I was getting was
2: worth it. How much would you price the Call of Duty single player so that you would feel it was worth it? $7.99. I'm surprised you went positive. <laughs> I would pay- you have to pay me five fucking dollars to play that shit. You know, no, I don't know. I would pay the price that I
0: would get a, like a matinee movie to play Call of Duty. The single player. It was a big movie. It was a big movie where I clicked a button. That's true. It's equivalent. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, don't get me wrong. Call of Duty had some amazing set pieces. It really did. You know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, even though the action was kind of predictable, it was still kind of nice to watch. Not $60 worth of nice to watch. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, I have to feel that that the value is there worth it. So, for most games, like, if I wanted to pay, if I wanted to pays 30 bucks for the single player and then let's say an additional 30 bucks for the multiplayer you know that's fine and that's just an example that's what i'm saying like the the exact model that they use on dcu or free-to-play mmos won't necessarily work across all genres you know some genres you can't break down at all like when it comes to bastion that game's 15 bucks and that's it you know what i'm saying like that's all you're gonna get to it you know Bulletstorm. i don't think breaking down a la carte would have really worked because, I don't know, I mean, I just don't think the multiplayer would have been worth a full 30 bucks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or half the game. It depends. It all depends on how much the developer puts into it. If the, if the multiplayer is just kind of like an add-on to the game, then maybe charge $10, $15 for the multiplayer. Uh, whereas, if it's like Call of Duty, like Call of Duty, you probably want to, they'd probably charge 45 bucks just for the multiplayer. Because that's the core of the game. Even though they, they they do spend a lot of
2: money on celebrities and stuff like that f- to do the voice acting parts. So yeah, so I, no, go ahead. I was just just to so you're fundamentally saying Call of Duty is worth fifty two ninety nine.
0: Yeah, sure, fifty two ninety nine. That sounds good.
2: <laughs> actually, no,
0: because that's actually more than what I paid for when I got it.
1: Yeah, I mean, if that's if you enjoy <laughs> the single. You know, that's if you enjoy the game. The, it's yeah,
0: yeah. There you go. Exactly. But um, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead, Rob.
1: I think the thing that is, I guess like the points is getting belied is that it, what he's really trying to say is that like every model is, you know, he's saying subscription items aren't dead yet, but he's really saying that like, and more beyond that, that like no model is really dead yet because freemium going to keep going up, you know, free to play freemium, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think you even see maybe a rise of Alec Hart in the future. Um, the problem with Alec Hart though, is that you have to have games that all the segments are worth it. Because if you have a game like Call of Duty where, like, obviously, like, single player is devalued when you compare it to multiplayer, like, companies don't have any incentive to actually even release it out of the cart. They have every incentive to release it as a $60 game, which is why you see that. You know, like, that's why console games don't get released out of the cart, because I think those, you know, like, it, as much as they may put a happy face on things, like, I I think those companies know what parts of their game are worth what. Like, it, they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, submit themselves to public whim or like, you know, public uh, intelligence really. That's what it comes down to that, you know, that, oh, well this part of your game fucking sucks. I'm not going to spend any money on it when you could say, well, I won't give you the option here's $60 and the person goes, okay, I'll pay for it anyway. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's right. Like subscription memos aren't dead yet. I think it just requires the right, you know, the right, type of game the same that free-to-play isn't going to work for everything and that you know a la carte's not going to work for everything you know there's different models for a reason i think that everybody gets a little too hung up on like trends and everybody tries to jump on the same one and that's where your problem really comes in that's why we're going to see free-to-play explode and it's probably not like the best move because not every game is it's not going to work for every game you know
0: yeah definitely not
1: so, I mean, like, you know, it's incentive to play a game when you have, like, a free-to-play because it's like, oh, well, it's free, I'll try it. But, like, what happens when there's 100 free-to-play games? You know, what happens when there's 1,000? Well, you, know, you just have a free-to-play
0: to play backlog like I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, but, I mean, how long before you stop carrying and it, it becomes basically just like, you know, a, a regular. And then the, how many times can you keep taking that risk? If you release a free-to-play game and it doesn't do well, you literally, like, you gotten, you recoup nothing but you, you you recouped absolutely nothing on it because you spent money on advertising, you spent money on the game development and you put the game out and, you know eh, a thousand people spent a little bit of money on your game but like you didn't you didn't recoup anything
2: but is that maybe why we see so many games come out with the subscription model yet they, they possibly know full well this isn't going to last. We're just going to come out and, and recoup our initial you know, the initial sales and then six months down the road now we'll go free to play and, and and really kind of settle into what we were looking at all along. Maybe,
1: but I think that's why you've seen free to play become a bigger thing. Like that's why it's the new trend because, you know, people see like, oh, well, people are releasing games and they're not worth a subscription fee. Well, what happens if you have a game that's you know like free technically and then you could choose to pay money for it and then all of a sudden it's like oh well that's the new thing to jump on i mean i think you're nece- you're not necessarily wrong because i think the companies are like well let's do it anyway put it out for money get the people who are going to buy it to buy it and then you know it almost looks like an act of goodwill when we go free to play so i don't oh, know i mean like it's <laughs> Yeah, or you know, but like I think it's like one of those slippery so but like I mean it worked for DCU I mean like it's not gonna work for everything But it's worked for a few people so far, you know with the games that were kind of flagging or didn't do well initially and You know it just requires the right model like every game just requires the right model and I think that the uh, We shouldn't get too hung up on trends Companies should actually be looking at the right model and not just what's popular right now.
0: Oh, absolutely, but That's the thing like that's what those marketing boys are for. They say, "Oh, this is hot right now." It's like Zoolander. Yeah, I, right I know. I don't. I don't necessarily so hot have any right faith. Now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have any necessarily
1: faith that they're going to do that. I just, yeah. I just. That's that's what needs to happen if it's going to make any sense. But you know, uh, yeah, I know it's not going to necessarily happen that way. Yeah.
0: So I guess we'll we'll see what happens with that. Well, I always say that, but you know, we're we're seeing what's happening with that. Way there's so many free to plays happening and coming out and uh I don't know, actually, something... that's the next
1: point really isn't
0: it yeah actually that's what i, I was gonna segue see Rob? <laughs> god damn it you're right well, you my... know great
1: minds think alike and stuff so you know
0: uh-huh ruining my segue stealing my shine i see how it is
1: <sighs> stealing
0: <Yeah>. that thunder <laughs> yeah but yes rob's absolutely right our last topic is going to talk uh about free to play and why there may be so much so much free to play coming out um Gabriel Layden, uh, he is the CEO of a mobile company called Admired. Now, usually when we talk about people from mobile games companies on the MASHcast, we typically, it's usually we're mad about something. We kind of dismiss what they say because usually what they say is all in favor of what they do. If it's mobile, like, you know, handheld to dying, so go mobile. You know, we used to hear that stuff, but the, the statements he makes here they Are actually pretty true. <laughs> um, he uh, he said this at Dice 2012, and he says that the console business has upheld uh, it's uh, upheld a standard pricing structure for physical product for so long that it can no longer afford to take risks with IP, which you know we talked about that you know just two topics ago with Double Fine, and instead they keep churning out sequels to rec- to recoup the inflated cost of game development. So basically. They're making a game that they know will sell just to recoup the cost of making said game. You know that's crazy. Well, in terms of Call of Duty though, uh, or some game, some AAA titles, they definitely recoup those those costs early and then just make a bunch of bank. You know on those titles. You know, like Call of Duty, making Activision a redonkulous amount of money. But uh, you know that's yes, what he said, you know, there's really there's not a whole lot of innovation when it comes to the to, to console, uh, or to those large AAA titles. Um, he also talked about, you know, how bad is it to charge someone 70 bucks for something they don't like? Like, you know, you somebody buys Call of Duty, which I don't know where you got 70 bucks from, so I'm just going to replace that with 60 bucks. Uh But, you know, you have a game like Call of Duty, somebody buys it for $60, bucks, does not like it, and then takes it back to GameStop and they get 30 bucks for it, they lose half of their investment right off the bat, you know? And that's, that helps, well, that erodes consumer confidence. Not necessarily in Call of Duty, but, you know, in, in, in certain games in general, you know, a lot of, a lot of people may turn to piracy or they just may wait for games to go on sale, stuff like that. Um, he, he brings up that free-to-play eliminates risk for the consumer and puts it on the developer, and since it puts the risk on the developer, it actually encourages the developer to innovate and come up with ways for the user to spend that money. And that can go both ways. That can be a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. Like, it may go in such a way where they're trying to nickel and dime the, the, uh, the, the player. You know, like, when I played APB, you, know, you guys have heard that story before, I did not like the way they were trying to get me to spend money. But then you also, you know, on the other hand, they may try to come up with innovative features and gameplay that make users feel good about spending that money and feel that it's worth actually, you know, it's actually worth, uh, you know, doing this or spending this money and getting deeper into this game. And for the most part, we see free-to-play when it comes to mobile, which is that, that's what he does. He He says that, you know, mobile is the home of free-to-play and that's the next big model for video games. And I I don't think he was just talking about mobile video games. I think he's talking about video games in general. And that's kinda of what we were just talking about in the topic before, you know, kinda of going free-to-play and then and, and getting the pieces of your game out of cart. But then maybe at the same time having that option to pay for the whole shebang at one time. You know, maybe get a little discount. Or technically speaking, maybe maybe not get a discount. Maybe you buy the entire game for 60 bucks. You know, if you want the whole game, buy it for 60 bucks. But if you want to buy it in pieces you know, single-player, maybe 35 bucks. Multiplayer, maybe 35 bucks. You know, or, or whatever. But either, you get a discount for the single portion of the game. Like I said before, I think the whole thing comes down to the balance of making the player feel like it's worth it. You know, I have to feel like it's worth it to spend that money. But, uh, you know, his, his point overall, Gabriel's point overall, is that the console prices... The fact that they're locked, that they that they can't move, that you can't sell pieces of a game, uh, you know, well, I mean, you can sell DLC and everything, and I and I, get, I think THQ actually did try that, uh, like they sold the uh, ATV versus MX or MX versus ATV for forty bucks, and then sold uh different parts of the game like DLC, but if if I remember correctly, Rob told us that like it was like forty bucks for not even half the game I and mean, then you had to buy the rest of the DLC so they kind of did that wrong but you know go ahead. entirely wrong because
1: yeah like the game was $40 before and it was the full game and then they changed it to like $40 and it was like it wasn't even half like god they, they completely screwed it up basically
2: and how many studios had to suffer for that mistake oh <laughs> uh, when you go to CHQ yeah
0: yeah they, a lot of families felt that one well, a lot of families dealing with THQ feeling a lot of stuff right now, but uh, yeah, that's the thing. So you know, it's all about they have to do it correctly. You know, they have to be. Re- I think the biggest thing is they have to be realistic. Like they have to be realistic about the product. They have to measure. Okay, how much does it cost to make this? Okay, we need this much for a profit. Okay, let's charge this much, and then and then go from there. You know, I can under yeah, I understand it's a business thing. You want to make as much money as possible. But I don't think, like, unless you have a big IP like Call of Duty, you can't just slap the player around and be like, yeah, you're going to pay $65 for the game, and then you're going to pay another $50 a year for this service. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think you can just go around doing that unless you have a, a larger title like Call of Duty. Like, with something like MX or
2: ATV, it doesn't work like that, you know? Yeah, but... Uh... At some point, I mean, because basically it sounds like he's, he's kind of saying, you know, what we talked about earlier with, with the, the whole, uh, you know, the whole concept of, of I guess, that, that marketing is so important and how you bring those costs into development that you have to sell a, a, a metric ton of games just to, to be able to pay that off. And that, that monstrous engine, as it were. Is is driving the the price of games so high? I mean, even as we said earlier, to a degree, the cost of Call of Duty is effectively one hundred and ten dollars a year now, that it, it's it's forcing everybody else sort of become bottom feeders in the sense of, of of being free to play. It almost seems like at some point, the basis for the AAA titles has to erode out. That 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 you can't have that that. That ultimately, especially I think, as as free to play sort of refines itself and becomes more successful, and I shouldn't just say free to play, but I guess I guess proper marketing schemes, I guess is, is the way to look at it. As that refines itself, people will stop sort of going for the the overhyped machine, and ultimately they'll 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 die out. And that the whole co- you know the, the whole idea of the AAA Hollywood blockbuster game, I think that he's saying that's in jeopardy.
0: Uh, I don't think the AAA game is in jeopardy. I think there'll always be triple A games because people, you know, unless people stop caring about graphics and and not just graphics but just quality in general, you know, th- that's when triple A games will do, will go away. But they won't because people will never stop caring about quality. In my opinion, we're always looking forward. You know, we're always we always want to look forward. We don't want to look backward. I, maybe I, like
1: oh, sorry, no, you can go. Okay, I think that this point though is that like. You don't always get quality. You can have something that maybe, be oh, okay. AAA. A, we usually kind of determine by like what actually ends up being triple A, but like, you know, we, we, I mean, really it's like, kind of like what they intend to be triple A, you know, like I think the home front in a way was supposed to be a triple A release, right? concerning the, the home, the marketing and everything that went behind it. But like the, the thing is like, we're getting triple A titles that aren't qual like that aren't quality. You know, I don't necessarily, in fact, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of what he says in this. Like, I think I agree with the, the the base point of how bad it is to charge somebody $70 for something they don't like. Like, that's the thing, Like, that's the base point, like, I agree with. But there are plenty of AAA titles that aren't necessarily worth the price of admission. You know, like, even, let's talk about Assassin's Creed Revelations. Was it a $60 game? I think it was a $60 game. Okay, I mean I haven't finished it, so I'm like, I was just asking because I mean like you were you were disappointed.
0: I was disappointed with the game because it wasn't as good as the previous Assassin's Creed, but it was still a sixty dollar game. I don't feel bad that I spent sixty bucks on it. I just feel bad that it wasn't as good as Assassin's Creed 2. Which wasn't you know, that's what happens when
2: you have excellent games sometimes. So so how much do you feel Assassin's Creed 2 is worth? I think it was worth sixty bucks. (laughs)
0: Even though, yeah,
1: like go, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think we're
2: making the same point. Is that <laughs> there's a, you're you're saying there's a difference in quality, yet the value is the same? No, the quality of the game is the same. It just wasn't
0: like the thing is like the the overall story of the second one was better. The overall gameplay was better, but the quality of the game was still the same.
2: So you don't count the story and the experience into the quality of the game not
0: as heavily as taking money off because the story wasn't as good. The gameplay itself was actually the the gameplay of Assassin's Creed, like the thing is like there was no real increase. Like when you go from Assassin's Creed 1 to Assassin's Creed 2, there is a big gameplay difference. You go from Assassin's Creed 2 to Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, there's a pretty substantial gameplay difference. But when you go from Assassin's Creed Brotherhood to Revelations, it was kind of the same thing except the story wasn't as good.
1: But then, realistically, like you paid sixty dollars for Brotherhood, which was great, amazing. By all, you know, like I played it, like you played it. I, you know, people played it, and it was amazing. If they didn't change anything and the story got worse, why is the game still worth sixty dollars? You
0: want me knock off two dollars because the story is not as good? as still, in terms of playing the game, I still gave the game like itself like a four out, like, I like a four out of five, like four point five, I think. Right. But the I story, mean I just the story wasn't as good. I mean the story doesn't make the game.
1: I guess in a way like it not like not, not like highlights it because I mean we're not like I mean we're saying Assassin's Creed, you know, Revelations, but like it was still a decent game. Like I'm not going to I'm not going to fault that because I didn't finish it, but like playing it I'm like it's still a decent game.
0: It's still it's still
1: a good game. But it kind of highlights the issue that like you've just grown to expect $60 even if this experience really isn't as good as the one that you had before it. You finished that game, and you were disappointed. Yeah, You you played it, you know, like, you, you played enough of it, but, like, I, I think it's just kind of strange to say, like, I think that both of these games were worth $60, but this one is definitely quantifiably better than this one, and, and they really didn't even change much in the gameplay to make this game better, the one that came after it, even though the story was worse. Like, Does, it's just it's just odd in a
2: way. Doesn't paying the same amount for diminishing returns kind of make you a junkie? i think you put weight like i
0: I guess i I don't know if i'm not explaining myself clearly enough but like if the gameplay was just as good as the second one or it's not the second one but brotherhood is just the the story wasn't as good as i think the story was bad it just wasn't as good and the thing about the story is the thing that pissed me off about the story is that it didn't progress as much as i would want it to that's the problem i had with it
1: I mean I understand what you're saying like it, it's a very it's a subjective thing in a way but like it's very. it's odd because you know like that's the only thing you have to go by when you're like that's why you put down your money in the first place it is subjective you know like even if even if somebody looks at I don't know like Final, let's say Final Fantasy 13 2 and says like Final Fantasy 13 sucked and I hated the gameplay and it was terrible 13 2 the gameplay is basically the same why would anybody put down money for that I bought it the day it came out It's subjective. Like that's how you. That's why you put down your money. I I enjoyed thirteen. You know, like it did. Maybe it had its problems, but I enjoyed it. And maybe now, maybe now we're getting to the same thing where like, you just expect to pay sixty dollars. So even if you're like, hey, you know, maybe it wasn't worth sixty dollars in hindsight. But then you go out and you plunk down sixty dollars again, hoping that it'll be better. Like maybe it's like our, our fanboyism or whatever you want to call it. You know, the fact that we just like games kind of like working against us in a way
0: well the thing is you don't know if a game is worth 60 dollars until after you play it so to kind of try to gauge it beforehand you really can't do that
1: right but i guess that's the whole point of saying like oh well free to play like you get to try it out and blah blah blah. like we've already talked about how it's not it's not really viable to do that for everything but like you know i i think in a way it has a point because it's like well not not that everything should do this like maybe it's just that like there needs to be more you know like more openness like in a way like oh well maybe there needs to be more like here's a here's a demo here's you know stuff you don't see very much anymore which is like a demo for every game and stuff but you know what i i don't know like i don't know it's just it is it's odd because it is like we do have a certain mindset about things like yeah you don't know until you put down that money but then like if it's diminishing returns like if you put down money after the fact and it's You know, but like you're saying, even after you've put down money for it to someone else, you're saying, I still think it was worth $60. I don't like I don't know. I just it just feels like there is a problem in that when you say something like that, you know, like not necessarily I'm not saying you're wrong because it is subjective like that. You put down your money because you like Assassin's Creed as a series and that's why you put down your money. But then after the fact, looking at hindsight, if you could still say, oh, was still worth $60, even though it wasn't as good. It's, it's just a strange thing.
0: I mean, I don't think it's really that strange because it's kind of like this: you go to see two different movies at the movie theater. You like one movie better than the other, but you pay eleven bucks to see both movies. But you think both movies are worth the eleven bucks you spent. That happens all the time, like you well, know. That- I'm
2: that happens because that's the that's the way that the system works right now. But by no means are even two movies worth eleven bucks. I mean, there's plenty of times you go to the movie and you think, "Wow, that was crap. I really wish I hadn't paid for that." I'm not talking
0: t- about I'm not talking about two movies like that. I'm talking about two movies you went to go watch and you liked one movie better than the other, and you thought that both movies were worth the eleven
2: dollars. Well, yeah, but you know here's what,
0: it, here's an example though.
1: Let's, okay, let's, let's go back. Let's, let's take a stroll down memory lane. Let's talk about The Matrix and Matrix Reloaded. Don't I mean like,
0: it. You don't want to talk to me about that because I like all three movies.
1: I, okay, whoa. Three? Really? Yeah, I like uh, all three uh, movies. Okay, well, we're going to talk about it anyway.
0: <laughs> but only okay. the first
1: two because I don't want to get into the third one with you. Okay. Um, Matrix, Matrix was... I would call Matrix a good movie, period. But I really like Matrix Reloaded as an action movie. So it is the same. It's the same thing you're talking about, where you spend the same amount of money for both, you know. But you felt like they were worth it. But what if that wasn't the only option? I think is the whole point. What if the what if the option was? What if that wasn't the way the system was designed? What if it was, you know, you almost like it's even call like a Kickstarter type thing, where it's like, well. We're going to fund Battlefield 3 and we're going to fund Call of Duty and you can put up as much money as you want for both. And you're going to put up money for both, but how much money are you really actually willing to... You get a copy of the game if you spend at least a dollar or something on the game. Discounting people who are just like, well, I'm going to spend a dollar because I get the game for free. You know, like, how much money do you actually think it's worth to put towards it? Like, would you put down $60 on Battlefield and only 30 on Call of Duty?
2: basically isn't that the pricing structure of the humble indie bundle? I mean where you can sort of, you know, put down i guess a minimum and then be beyond that however much you you actually feel, you know, compelled to give based on presumably based on quality, although I suppose like, you know, generosity and financial financial means would also come into play, but I mean that, that I I'd frankly I'd love to see a model like that for AAA titles to see just how much these games which we're used to paying $60 or more are actually worth socially.
1: I think that that's why like they don't become you know viable. i mean we're going on a little bit but like i don't think that, i think that's why in the long run like you do see freedom you know like the triple h structure change a little bit because it's not sustainable like the way it is like production costs just keep going up and up and up and up and up and yet we're seeing indie games that honestly like for the you know the 15 dollars you spend and the lunch less that they pay in in production and stuff are a lot of times better fucking games you know like beyond like the whole convoluted possibilities of you know all different prices for different things like we're not always getting triple A quality out of triple A titles I don't think free to play is the answer to everything that's it maybe it has fueled free to play growth to a certain extent but I don't think it's the answer to everything which is why I don't agree with a lot of what he says in this but at the very least we're not always getting what we you know you're not always getting what you pay for and that in and of itself is a problem you know regardless of whether or not like the minute you know minutia of how much you would pay for it, you know, or how much you think it's worth, we're not always getting equal equivalent quality of what we're paying. And, but it's the expected. This is the way the system is, so that's why you pay that much money for it. We don't. It's very rare to even see a game for fifty dollars on a console at this point. Like sixty is it, you know, like fifty dollars you see for like every once in a while, like a. No, not even a Dynasty Warriors. Actually, I'm lying. <laughs> you don't even see... Di- <laughs> you, here it here goes. A perfect fucking example. There's Diminishing Returns in a nutshell. Dynasty Warriors 7 just came out recently. That game still comes out for 60 fucking dollars. How? That game is not worth 60 fucking... It's the same game I played when I played Dynasty Warriors 3 on fucking PlayStation 2.
0: That's true.
1: You know, like... I think that... Just in a way, like, it's just a weird... It's a big problem. Like, it's a weird thing to talk about we don't like it we could have a whole mash cast on it but i like that's what i feel like it's kind of like the weird issue like at play and that's why free to play has become like oh man the marketing guys in the room say so that's the big thing to do so we should do that i don't know
0: yeah i mean free to play definitely I, I agree with them that free to play takes the pressure off of the player it gives them more reason to play it puts the pressure more pressure on the developer and uh you know if even if triple a titles start to go free to play let's say you're still gonna have you know the studios that are putting big money behind it, saying, hey we're putting all this money behind it we're gonna do something safe that's still gonna happen
1: oh absolutely and i think that was my biggest problem with what he said is that like it puts less pressure on the player but it puts even more pressure on the publisher and publishers already feel like they have to play it safe what are they going to do when they have to play it even more safe you're just going to see less games
0: period well, that's the thing. I think that's the turning point where when they see that this this model isn't really working for them and it's not working for them because, you know, players get to actually get into their games and see how crappy it is, like, you know, how many people would not pay for Call of Duty if they saw how crappy it was. You know what right. I'm
1: saying? If you could see it and not and not have to put down money for it. You know, I yeah, understand. I understand. I mean that's why I think that free to play is not the answer to everything.
0: Right. But that's the thing, I was saying, like, that could, I mean, it could go either way. It could either go like, well, that's not for us, and we go back to our old model. Or it could be that, okay, well, now things need to change. I mean, things change in the industry all the time. It could easily go back to things need to change, and we need to innovate. You know what I'm saying? That's what we need. We need innovators. We don't need, you know, Zenga monkeys. We need, you know, people who can actually innovate games and make players want to play our stuff. You know? that that could It could easily turn into that. It could go either way. So... The only time will tell. <laughs> only time will tell all this speculation. I think we just talked for that uh, talked about that for about twenty minutes. All speculation. Yeah, I mean it was spec <laughs>
1: yeah, that is what it is. It's speculation. But I mean like that's why it's I mean it's a big topic and that's why you see so much talk about it. You know, there's a lot of questions about how the future is going to be, how digital distribution's gonna affect things, how free to play, blah, 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 different pricing structures. And it's worth talking about. I just think it's not worth everybody like necessarily jumping on one bandwagon and riding it all the way home because the wheel is going to break off and you're going to be sitting in the middle of the road. Uh,
0: I, I, well, we talked about this months ago, but for, everybody's going to hop on free to play for a little bit, everybody, you know, and then it's going to cool back down when, when people start failing at it. And then I think we're going to start to see it even out, you know, people offering free to play, people offering on the longer demos, people offering the same, you know, that the regular model, you know, I think it'll all work out in the end. Until something new comes out. <laughs> that is some some new scheme. Right, some other model. Yeah, exactly. So
1: Guys, what if we just release everything at $20 <laughs> is some new shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. All right, so yeah, that's going to wrap us up on topics. So, what is our our total here for the, for the uh the uh the double fine funding count?
1: Drum roll, please. I don't know. Um, we have uh, now we've gone up from twenty eight thousand three hundred and fifty backers to thirty thousand one hundred and sixty nine backers, and we are at one million one hundred thirty five thousand
0: three hundred and or one hundred
1: thirty nine dollars. Where do we start? Uh, one uh, one million. Uh, eighty-three thousand one hundred eighty-four dollars. So we jumped fifty thousand just in the time that we recorded the mashcast. About
0: two hours. So, all right. Go and I mean, fund. like, and
1: that's and that rate has slowed down in that same time frame. Like last night, they got a couple hundred thousand. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, it's still going. Like, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see where this ends up because I, I, I mean, me and Katie were talking, and it was kind of like. Like maybe they should have just said "psychonauts" too. Like it may have cost them three million dollars. Like you know that would have been their goal, but they might be able to hit that in a month if they can do a million in a in like a day. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it'd be it's an interesting experiment to see where you know what can happen.
2: So really, we want to see them hit three million four hundred thousand. Then,
1: something like that. I don't, I mean I'm sure there's rules for Kickstarter that you know. It, about like what you can and can't do about you know after you've already kind of established what your project's gonna be. But if they could have four hundred thousand dollars to make the one game and then three million to make Psychonauts two, I wouldn't cry about it.
0: Yeah. So we'll see what they do with it. I'm pretty sure uh, they'll add some nice goodies for those who are interested in the game. Oh uh, yeah, So that's gonna end the, end our mashcast. Do we have well? Do we have any good games coming out next week? Do you guys remember? Anything noticeable. Because oh, uh, Kingdom of the More came out this week. Shank 2 came out. Darkness 2 came out this week as well, right?
1: Yep. So that was, like, I was all February 7th. That was earlier this week, so. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. Got uh Tekken 3D Prime Edition for 3DS. <laughs> Lol. Uh, <laughs>
0: Twisted Metal next week. Yeah, Twisted, Twisted Metal. Metal
1: is next week for Valentine's Day. Uh, Blas Blue Continuum Shift, I think, makes it within, yeah, that's next week as well yeah okay that's yeah. Really about it for next week honestly yeah everything else that's decent is the week after
0: okay actually did you guys see the video that mikey k and uh, Robbie did where they fought to see who would do that review yep yeah I thought that was actually that's pretty cool if you guys who are listening to mashcast haven't seen that i will make sure that i put that into the show notes because uh i thought that was kind of nice the way they did that Oh, Robbie really surprised me in that first round like in that first round when well, he came back
1: I thought yeah that, I mean he was on the brink of death and he was just like oh hey you're dead like two moves I was like wow okay I didn't know it was like that um, but I I really wish they, they had posted like the smack talk from the forums before they had the matches <laughs> yeah, because that was where I was like oh man it's on get the popcorn <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's cool to see things like that happen
0: yeah so I'll put that into show notes as well uh you can for those of you some of you a lot of you are probably listening on soundcloud so but it's at soundcloud.com slash smash those buttons you can also listen to the podcast on itunes uh now this just happened the debut uh yesterday well by the time time you listen time
1: out time out before the big announcement we forgot something very big next week what playstation vita
0: Oh, my Jesus. all the
1: games that come with it. There you go. I'm not even going to go through all the games, but PlayStation Vita comes out next week. So that is a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) That We'd be kind of retarded to let that just slip on past like a shadow in the night. So anyway, on to the major announcement.
0: Yeah. Forgiveness, please. You know, I got to go get my new bling next week. I forgot. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so we are now the MASH cast is now on Stitcher Smart Radio. And uh, what that is, is that's an app you can grab for your iPhone, uh, iPad, Android, and you can stream the MASHcast instantly. Like, you do not have to download it. If you don't want to, you just sign up for Stitcher Radio, and it's free. And you search for the MASHcast, put it on your favorites, and, yeah, you can stream the MASHcast instantly. Uh, It has a resume function. I know uh, I was listening to one of the previous MASHcasts to see how it sounded. And then I stopped and I went back and it resumed it again. So, yeah, you can actually stop and then resume Mashcasts. So, you can actually stream it from like those devices and also from their website. So, yeah, that's where we're on Stitcher Radio now. So, definitely check that out. I will put a link to the show in the show notes to our Stitcher Radio link and you can check that out. So, there's just more options for you guys. Uh, I know some of you, uh, some of you guys listen. Uh, on your iPhones and iPad and uh, you know Android devices and stuff like that, and you know instead of downloading the MashCast on iTunes, you may just want to stream it. You know, it's it's up to you guys, but more options for you. And uh, you know, we are, we definitely appreciate the support because Stitcher Radio is one of those things where you just can't get in. Like you know, they take take a look and check out your quality and make sure you're okay. So obviously they were pleased, <laughs> and uh, yeah, now we are uh, being broadcast on Stitcher Radio. So. Thanks for that. Um, but other than that, you know, you guys can catch us on mashthosebuttons.com. You can catch us on twitter.com slash mashthosebuttons, uh, facebook.com slash mashthosebuttons. Actually, today, before the MASHcast, I sent out a little a t- a tweet saying, hey, what do you guys want to hear about? Uh, we got a response from Admiral Mikey. He said anything except Zynga. So that's what, Rob, that's what Rob was talking about earlier, saying that, you know, we're not supposed to talk about Zynga on this MASHcast. But... uh yeah I, might, I don't know I might do it more often we'll see how it goes but uh, yeah if you have any questions comments concerns love us hate us just let us know you can contact us on you know any of those uh, like SoundCloud Twitter directly on the site Facebook uh, you can also send an email to community at mashthosebuttons.com so uh, yeah as always thanks for listening we will catch you guys next week later thanks for the support as always have a nice Valentine's
2: Day